0: Hey folks, Andy the Taxman here. Now, before we jump into this month's Deep Dive episode, I have one small favor to ask of each and every one of you. I am absolutely thrilled to announce that Grappling with Canada is an eligible participant in the Canadian Podcast Awards for 2022. We are thrilled to be able to be nominated in several different categories, so here's what I need from each and every one of you listeners. Simply go to canpodawards.ca. Quickly make a profile; takes about thirty seconds, and you can nominate "Grappling with Canada" in several different categories, such as outstanding debut for a series, outstanding sports series, outstanding society and culture series, and most of all, my favorite: <laughs> best host in a series. Once again, canpodawards.ca. The voting closes on July 13th, so run, don't walk, to CanPodAwards.ca and quickly make your profile and vote for Grappling with Canada in each and every eligible category available. It would mean the world to me, and let's see if we can bring home some gold for some Canadian professional wrestling history. If you missed all that, you can catch the link in the show notes for today's episode. Once again, voting ends on July 13th. So once again, run, run, run. Don't walk and vote for Grappling with Canada for the Canadian Podcast Awards of 2022. And thank you all very much in advance. Hello everyone, and welcome back, welcome back, welcome back to Grappling with Canada. But more importantly, on this day, July 1st, happy Canada Day to all of my fellow Canadians, both in-country and abroad. And by extension, happy early 4th of July to our neighbours down south. Boy oh boy, this is uh, such a tremendous time of year for myself personally, as you can tell by me uh, showing my nationalistic side playing the Canadian National Anthem to kind of kick off uh, the program today. And speaking about nationalistic side, boy oh boy, the topic that we're going to be covering today, you almost can't talk about Canadian professional wrestling history without mentioning Whipper Billy Watson. So to say that I'm really looking forward to this one and to say that it fits a 100% with the theme of Canada Day is uh, probably the biggest understatement I'm going to make in the program tonight. So I'm really looking forward to our subject matter tonight and I'm really looking forward to the information that we've been able to uncover and that we will be able to impart onto each and every one of you whether you're listening to this on july first, whether you're listening to this maybe under the weather, wink wink nudge nudge on july second, or hopefully before you're listening or hopefully that you're listening to this, I should say, before july thirteenth. Why that date's important, I'm gonna get to in a second. But first, if this is your first time to grappling with Canada, welcome to the program. I would strongly suggest that you go in the back catalog to hear some. Tremendous episodes, not just because I've done them, but most importantly for the guests that have been on the episodes. We've covered such such topics as uh, George Gordienko, a two-part episode on Rowdy Roddy Piper, uh, Billy Two Rivers, Chief Don Eagle, Gene Kaniski, Stu Hart, Monster Ripper, the list goes on and on and on. And every month we just build and build and build this catalog of fascinating stories but more importantly than that, incredible guests. So once again, go in the back catalog on whatever podcasting platform that you are listening to this program on right now. Whether that be Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, Good Pods, Spotify, wherever you buy, sell, trade, barter, and my favorite, steal your favorite podcasts, you can find Grappling With Canada. While you're there, If you could leave a five star rating and a written review on each available podcasting platform, most important, if you could do that on Apple Podcasts, what happens is I will read your five star written review on the next available program when I see it uh, pop up in my feed, if you will. So once again, if you're listening to this program, go ahead and five star, do your best, do your best listen to me talk. It's early in the program. It's not even <laughs> July 1st yet, and we're, we're revved up on this side of things. And I, I think uh, as we get into tonight's program, you're going to understand why. But before I get ahead of myself, hit that five-star subscription uh, gimmick, if you will. Do your best. Dave Meltzer, as good friend of the show BC Hunter would say, and uh, leave a written review as well, especially on Apple Podcasts, and I'll make sure that I read it on the next available program. I want to thank everybody for checking out last month's episode on Angelo Mosca. Wow, the response that I got off that episode is is absolutely in, incredible, and I, I'm just, what a testament to, first off, the guests that I had on that episode, uh, AC and Steve Milton were just just incredible which kind of follows part and parcel the kind of thing that we're doing here. Expanding the reach of Canadian professional wrestling history because it's not just about the wrestling. It's about the personal stories. It's about who these men and women were, what they meant to their communities, what they meant to Canada. And you can't tell that story without the fantastic guests that we have on each and every month. So, once again, thanks everybody for the positive feedback, for checking out the Angelo Mosca episode. If you haven't checked it out, uh, don't stop this program per se, but once you're done this one, hop in the Wayback Machine if you will, and check out that one. It was really, really an eye-opening experience for myself personally being a huge CFL fan, Uh, to go back and relive a lot of the league history through the eyes of, of Mosca, and then obviously the, the wrestling side of things was a real treat for me uh, personally. Also, in the back catalogue are the month bimonthly specials that we've been covering lately with Grappling with Canada, one of which is very important to today's episode. Now, the Nanjo Singh episode that was released as a special a couple of days ago, I understand that it wasn't for everybody. I put uh, content warnings all over that thing for very specific reasons. And thank you everybody who reached out and complimented me on how tactfully I handled the subject matter. It was not easy for me to go into that much detail on such a horrific subject, and I spent a lot of time, you know, agonizing maybe agonizing is the wrong word to say, but it's probably apt here with the way that my mind works and, and friends of mine will know exactly what I'm talking about. But I, I spent a lot of time, you know, wondering, should I, should I put it out there? Should I dedicate the space to it? How do you do it properly? How do you not sensationalize it? How do you keep personal feelings out of it? Because, you know, I would never want this program to be something where you know we're capitalizing on somebody's misery or misfortune that's kind of the problem I have with a lot of the true crime podcasts and a lot of them are Canadian and some of them I used to listen to until they got very um, personalized if you will and I have a, a, a very hard time with A lot of the personal opinion that gets injected into horrific stories like that. So I tried very hard on that episode to separate my personal feelings from the facts. And I I think I did a good job. And from all the feedback I've gotten thus far, it seems like the majority of you think so as well. So if you have not listened to that episode, again, it's not easy to listen to. I want to make no bones about that. However, it does tie in 100% with the subject matter that we're talking today, Whipper Billy Watson. So, if you uh, haven't listened to that, I would suggest that maybe you want to hit this one on pause and backtrack it one to that special episode and listen to that one and then jump right back into this one. It's about a half an hour. So, it's not like our usual, you know, (laughs) not our usual, you know, two to four hour deep dive episodes. uh, But it does impart some very important information that is tied directly into today's episode. And I think you'll understand once you listen to that why I chose to do it that way specifically. Oh boy, now that I got rid of all of that, (laughs) let's talk about some fun stuff. Uh, ways that you can interact with the show. Most important, uh, on Twitter, you can tweet me at six underscore podcast. You can email me at any time, sixsidepod at gmail.com. I read everything that you guys send, and I truly do appreciate it all. You can find us on Facebook. Use that Facebook groups, or sorry, Facebook pages. I'm getting ahead of myself. Facebook pages section. Type in Grappling with Canada. Come on in and like the Facebook page. And the group, Canadian Professional Wrestling History. The group's been growing by leaps and bounds. There's been a ton of fun information that has been passed around uh, from various people. Whether it's family history, whether it's people discovering things that they never knew before. Whether it's people showing stuff from their childhood. Or newer fans just exploring and getting into this stuff. It's really a treat. So come on in to the... Canadian Professional Wrestling History Facebook group. It's open to everybody and go ahead and post your favorite uh, Canadian Professional Wrestling History uh, moments, pictures, thoughts whatever. It's all welcome and it's all good and we truly we all love to see it. It's such a great uh, meeting place for us fans of uh, of the people and of the sport itself. You can also interact with the show on YouTube youtube.com slash c slash Six Sided Podcast, we're still inching, crawling,
1: struggling,
0: pulling ourselves to a thousand subscribers. So even if you listen to this one on the podcasting platform of your choice, I would suggest that you go ahead and subscribe to this show on YouTube. Um, if you're listening to this, note that the Angelo Mosca episode should be up. Oh, I, I hope to have it up in about a week and the Whipper Billy Watson episode that you're listening to right now should be up on that platform a week after that. I've been buried in paperwork is probably the uh, best way I can say it. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's coming. Trust me. So go ahead and subscribe, hit the notification button, and then when those pop up, you will know that you're, they're on there and uh, you guys can check them out. As well, I should also mention in regards to these special episodes, if you recall a few months ago, I had Vance Nevada on and he was talking about the upcoming book, Uncontrolled Chaos, Canada's remarkable professional wrestling history book that he's going to be re- releasing in a couple of months. I'm going to have Vance on the program again very soon. You guys are honestly running out of time to get any and all questions in to Vance because it's going to be a Q&A episode that I have Vance Nevada on next for the second part of our series covering his book and his research on such. So send your questions to sixsidepod at gmail.com. You can also tweet them to me at six underscore podcast. You can even shoot me a message off of the Facebook page or off of the uh, Facebook group as well, and I'll make sure that they make air. We've got a fantastic amount of responses, some really, really, really well thought out questions. I've been very impressed by by the amount of of thought and information that have gone into some of these questions, and I cannot wait to read them in. But you guys are running out of time, so please. As I said at the start of this episode with the Canadian Podcast Awards uh, issue, run, don't walk, and get your questions in sooner rather than later to make sure that they make air because that's going to be a very fun episode and as you guys heard from both the Roddy Piper episode part one that Vance was on and the special episode dedicated to his book, Vance is an absolute treasure trove of information. And uh, let's see if we get some questions that'll pick even his brain. I think that'd be a lot of fun to uh, figure out if we can stump Vance, if you will. All right, a couple of other things that I want to uh, touch on, a little bit of housekeeping before we really jump into today's episode is ways that you can support this program. Uh, you can donate to this program. I know times are tough right now. Inflation is through the roof, and it's absolutely insane. However, if you're able to spare a couple of bucks, everything that you guys donate goes directly back into the show. So a couple of ways you can do that is on the Good Pods app. If you're on that, there's the tip function. Uh, you can also use the Link Tree link in your show notes. There are uh the PayPal. Uh, direct link, you can donate that way, and you can also buy me a beer, because it is heading into uh, hot summer weather here in friendly Winnipeg, Manitoba. You can buy me a beer over at uh, buymeacoffee.com slash grappling. As well, in regards to uh, helping out the program, I have a fantastic idea, although I need to see what the laws are here in Manitoba, because we have some interesting laws about fundraising. However, suffice it to say that in the next month or so, I'm going to be doing a fundraiser of sorts, which may involve a piece of hardware that you can wear around your waist, which may be a symbol from a a three-letter... Wrestling organization, one of the most famous in wrestling history, with lineage tracing back to, well, they kind of co opted it from the 1930s, but we're going to say that they started about the 40s. If you read between the lines, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Keep it locked on all social media for what's happening with that style of a fundraiser for this program. Once again, on Twitter at six underscore underscore podcast on the Facebook group and the Facebook page. And also you can find us on Instagram, instagram.com slash grappling with Canada. Now, in my opinion, the most important way to support the show right now. So if you're listening to this before July 13th, please, I implore you, run, don't walk to the Canadian Podcast Awards, uh, canpodawards.ca. Once again, you can find that link in your show notes on today's program. And vote for Grappling with Canada. There are several um, categories that we're eligible for. Once you create your profile, you'll be able to use the uh, Nominate tab. You'll be able to go through all of those. And you can honestly go through each and every category to see what Grappling with Canada is eligible for, because if you type in Grappler with Canada on the nomination section, uh, it'll automatically see if we're eligible or not. So anything that we're eligible for, if you guys can go ahead and nominate us, it would be absolutely mind-blowing. Could you imagine, just think about this one for a second, and not even just because it's my program, whatever, who cares about that, but imagine for a second, a Canadian Pro Wrestling History Podcast Winning an award. Wow. Would be unbelievable. So, please, if <laughs> if you could do one special thing. Well, I'm going to ask you to do something way later in the program. But if you could do one thing for me while you're listening to this Deep dive program, go ahead to canpodawards.ca and vote for Grappling with Canada. Once again, uh, voting ends, I'm pretty sure, on July 13th. So, don't wait, get it done right now when you're listening to this program. and I truly appreciate each and every one of you uh, who votes for us and let's see if we can let's see if we can make something happen and make some noise in the Canadian uh, podcast scene. A couple of things that I wanted to touch on as well before we get into tonight's program is a couple of programs that I was very fortunate to be on a guest on. So, this didn't make air before the Angelo Mosca episode, unfortunately, but I was so pleased to be a guest uh, twice now, my second time a guest, on the Wrestling With The Truth podcast. Uh BC Hunter was short a couple of co-hosts, and he had me on. We were talking about a little bit of the ridiculousness surrounding um some of the modern wrestling uh death match kind of stuff and and we had some well i will say that i had some interesting takes on that uh we were in agreement on a couple of things a couple of things i think i was a little bit more militant about (laughs) than bc hunter was but he was such a gracious guest uh we had a blast it was about an hour long of the program and we've talked forever and it, it What a a great guy, and shout out to BC. Uh, I know Wrestling With The Truth is going kind of an overhaul right now, and they got some interesting stuff in the works, so I'm looking forward to seeing what uh, they end up coming back with. I know it's their one-year anniversary right around the corner, so I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with them. So uh, you can follow them on Twitter at WWTTPod. Uh, Great group of guys, and I'm looking forward to see what they do in the near future. Another program that I was very fortunate to be a a guest on is regarding the two gentlemen who are joining the program tonight. I was fortunate to be on an episode of the National Wrestling Clipping Alliance podcast uh, with Wes and Jess, and we were talking about... Some Canadian professional wrestling cards that span all the way from PEI to BC. And our thoughts on the cards, our thoughts on the people involved. Boy, oh boy, we got into the weeds of just some some wrestling history. We had a fantastic conversation and they had credit to them. They had a great idea to go province to province to talk about something from each province, whether it was a match, whether it was an individual, whether it was some history. And uh, boy, oh boy, I learned so much from them and I had such an absolute uh, pleasure of a time. And I'm really hoping that if you're listening to this, I think that one will air about a week after this program debuts. So keep it locked on their YouTube channel. I'm gonna be putting a link to that in today's show notes as well so you don't want to uh, miss that it was a lot of fun and i think you'll hear from my conversations with Wes and Jess today that uh, they they just they do it for the love of you know wrestling history kind of like myself and when you get you know three people like that together it just boy oh boy 45 minutes turns into, into like almost 2 hours real quick and it was such an absolute honor and treat for me to be on there. And uh, yeah, I had such a blast. So I guess I've kind of spoiled <laughs> a little bit of the stuff today in my incessant rambling. Because today on our Whipper Billy Watson episode, I have the two gentlemen from the National Wrestling Clipping Alliance podcast, Wes and Jess. Now, some of you may be familiar with them with the stuff that they've done with the Ontario Wildman podcast uh, via the Dave Dynasty Network. Um, Just a couple of great guys who, who love the history of professional wrestling and and are doing their very best to kind of spread this thing and what they've done with their clipping pages on Facebook, which we get into as well in the program, as well as what they impart on Twitter is just, it's a lot of great stuff. And A bit of the conversation that we had, you know, on and off air, both, you know, on my program and their program is, you know, regarding this odd monopolization of wrestling history. And I'm sorry, I'm going to step on my soapbox for just a minute while before we get into tonight's program. So professional wrestling history and historians have an, an odd dynamic with each other. I find, and you know, you'll often find either people are very upfront and forward with the information that they find. They want to share everything they find. They want to put it out there for everybody to enjoy and everybody to uh, get a get a taste of it, if you will. Wes and Jess, in my opinion, are perfect, absolutely perfect examples of this. Unfortunately, on the other side, you have some you know, professional wrestling historians, and I will use that word semi loosely, who for some reason have this guarded or gated view on professional wrestling history that if they if they come across it they own it, right? If they buy it on eBay or whatever, they own it. They don't share it. They don't tell anybody that they it's there now. Um, it's in their purview, and it's theirs. And I kind of think that that's the wrong way to go about all of this stuff. So, you know, I, I hope that in our conversation today, Wes and Jess will impart on you, the listener, the fact that we, as as not just wrestling fans, not just wrestling historians, not just Canadian history buffs, not just, you know, not not... Specifically, parts of these, but as a whole, that will do a better job of passing information on because, you know, all it takes is somebody to pass away and it's gone, and it's it's awful to say, but man, we've seen it we've seen it uh, too often, especially lately, and uh, what a shame it would be to lose out on some of this professional wrestling history some of this Canadian history for the simple fact of ownership. And that's all I'm going to say about that. So, without further ado, let's jump into tonight's episode. But before we do that, as I always do, let's hear a little bit of uh, match audio from Whipper Billy Watson, and then let's dive right in to learn about the Whipper. Please enjoy.
2: Is a whip into the ropes you can hear the ring shattering when the chief hits it's a wrist lock actually there's a judo hold in there he's putting pressure on the back of that left hand And a judo hole of Whipper Watson. Wanted into this one. That's a new one, the whips develop. The Chief had to call it an early evening. Here's Manny Weiss with the time on it. The time, four minutes, 56 seconds. The winner. Billy Whipper Watson. Whipper Billy Watson the winner. Over at Chief Chiwaki, the end came suddenly as the whip applied his special finishing hole and there's some conversation about it.
0: William John Potts was born june twenty fifth, nineteen fifteen, in East York, Ontario which is now a part of the Toronto area. Uh, He was born to an English-born father, John Potts, and a Canadian-born mother, Alice Mary Wilkin. Watson began wrestling in Toronto under his real name. He was a member of the Scarborough Athletic Club in the mid-1930s and was wrestling on what was once billed as amateur wrestling shows in Toronto. An important distinction here is that at the time, there was a couple of factions in Canada. There was the Amateur Athletic Association out of Toronto, I believe, and there was the Professional Athletic Association out of Montreal. Now, at the time, there was a big divide between the two associations and who could work with who and what wrestlers could wrestle under what banner. And, you know, perhaps that's a topic of conversation that, I'll have to explore in a later episode, if you will, not that I want to telegraph too much, but it is an interesting dynamic and something that will play a part uh, later on in both this episode and later episodes of Grappling with Canada. But really, who was Whipper Billy Watson? I think we should explain a little bit about the man before we go into all of the depth and detail that we're going to get into later on the program uh, tonight, so... For a little bit of biographical background, I'm going to reference an article written by a friend of the show, Greg Oliver, for one of my favorite wrestling sites, slamwrestling.net. So, in this article titled Remembering Whip Billy Watson, this is from uh, March of 2000, Greg goes on to write It's been 10 years since we lost Whip to a heart attack. But how does one explain the appeal? the legacy of Toronto's William Potts, a.k.a. William Watson today, to today's wrestling fan? Well, by talking to a few wrestlers who knew him inside and outside the square circle. Quote, The thing that I remember about Watson is that every time you beat him, you had to fight your way out of the ring, explained Don Leo Jonathan, laughing at the recollection. Such was the fervor that Watson inspired in the faithful of Southern Ontario, and of Western New York. Watson began his wrestling career in 1936 in England, and it lasted until 1971, when an automobile accident forced him from the ring and into tirelessly working with charitable organizations on a full-time basis. Now, that, that's something that we're going to discuss in great detail later on in the episode tonight. The Whip knew no shame in using his celebrity to further the causes of the right and The Just. In the ring, Watson was just the one dealing out the justice. Always the fan favourite, he virtually controlled the Toronto promotion owned by Frank Tunney. Quote, He was the boss, so if you didn't want to do exactly what he wanted, he would go back to the office, recalled Hans Schmidt, one of these famous goose-stepping German heels of the post-World War II era. Again, somebody that we're going to talk to, uh, talk about later on in this program. When you go in the ring with him, I've wrestled him about a thousand times. It would have to be his way. Otherwise, things would stink a little bit, added Schmidt. If you don't do like he says, like he wants, he may not talk to you for a week. Gene Kaniski was another one of those killer heels that made Whipper all the more famous for fighting off his evil ways. Something that we're going to get into again way later in this program. Quote, I wrestled him so many, many times. I think I wrestled him in every city and village in Canada, said Koniski. In fact, the first time we met was in Newfoundland. My God, you couldn't get near the airport. They had the largest crowd in the history of Newfoundland to welcome him. Koniski knew his role. Quote, When I wrestled him, people went in there to see me get beat. And I'd just go out. I'd had a flamboyant style i just give them action, 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 because I'm a rough, tough son of a gun. And, as a result, we just drew so much money. End quote. Throughout the matches, it was Watson in control. Gene Kaniski would say, he was coaching and I was doing all of the offensive work. Luthes beat Watson for the NWA World Title on two separate occasions. The first time was on April 25th in Indianapolis, and then Lou Thez lost the title to Watson on March fifteenth, 1956 in Toronto via a count-out, and won it back on November ninth of that same year in St. Louis. Altogether, Thez figured that he only fought Watson a half dozen times though. He agreed with the assessment that Watson wanted his way in the ring, but Thez said that to counter that, he just out-wrestled him. Despite his lack of praise for Watson's in-ring ability, Thes did recognize the importance of both Watson and his French-Canadian equivalent, Yvon Robert, and the roles that they played in the lives of their fans. Watson and Robert were both promoted very well and really, really did a good job. They had a great deal of visibility and they did well. And both of them drew a lot of money for their promoters and did very, very well. The Mormon giant Don Leo Jonathan, as an American living in Canada, Heard a lot of griping about Watson's title reign. Now that's something that we're going to talk about a little bit later on in the episode today. Quote, That time when he had the championship, there was a lot of guys that figured that he shouldn't have it, and they wrote to get it. They were hitting him pretty hard. They would say, "What does Canadian do with the world championship, anyways?" You know, that was the attitude. Jonathan explained. Nobody liked it, even when Yvonne Robert had the championship. There's a lot of good wrestlers in the states, and that was sort of an affront to them. It's like the Stanley Cup going to New Jersey. Whipper Watson also had an impact on many of the younger wrestlers, some of whom were just breaking in as his, character, as his career was winding down. Paul Duke was Watson's partner, and for one match in Cornwall, Ontario, in 1965, it was a big, big, big souvenir for me. He said. Ronnie Garvin wrestled Watson at the end of his career, at the beginning of his own. Garvin remembered being in awe of the whip. Quote, He was a big star and I was just starting, Garvin said. Of course, all of this merely takes into account Watson the wrestler, not Watson the man. Watson the community leader, or Watson the champion of charity. Something that we are going to get into big time in today's episode. Again from Kaniski, Quote, He was just a phenomenal individual. I can't to be honest, speak highly enough for him, about him. He was a great, great asset to the world of professional sports. He was known worldwide, and of course, his name, Whipper Billy Watson, was synonymous with wrestling in Canada. And in my opinion, that article is really a great jumping-off point to kind of give you a bird's-eye view of not only Whipper Watson, the person, Whipper Watson, the wrestler, but what he meant to the Toronto area and then to all of the wrestlers in the Canadian professional wrestling scene at the time. Again, something that we're going to dive deep into in today's episode. So to get us there, first up are my conversations with one of the gentlemen from the National Clipping Wrestling Alliance podcast. Now, normally they are a tag team, but you know me; I always like to throw a swerve, if you will. And we've split them up into singles action for this episode. So, first up, we're going to be talking to Jesse. Uh, Jess has done an incredible amount of work learning about Whipper Watson. He's got. Binders upon binders, he has clippings upon clippings, and just he, he knows so much and has so much uh, backstory, has so much uh, factual, more important information about Whipper Watson. And we have a great conversation, not so much going through the year to year aspect of, you know, where Whipper was, what he did, kind of things like that, but we picked the high points of what happened, and really dive deep into them. And I think it really paints a picture of who Whipper Watson was and what he meant more specifically to uh, the Toronto scene, to the Canadian wrestling scene, and also what he meant internationally. So before we get into my conversation with Jess, I'm going to play some uh, in-ring action involving Whipper Watson and on the other side, one half of the National Clipping or National Wrestling Clipping Alliance podcast, Jess. Please enjoy.
2: Guaranteed to tear your head right off your shoulders. As Watson riding piggyback and applying what looks to be a strangle. You'll note that the forearm is under the chin, but Moscato says no. Here's Watson, racking Big Ed Miller in the dreamland. Miller is out like a light. Watson, the winner. The team of Bobo Brazil, Whipper Bill Watson, win the second fall over Big Ed Miller. And Dan Miller, the brother combination from Columbus, Ohio. And now Watson is applying the same treatment to Dan Miller, although the fall is officially called by Sergeant Joe Moscato, the referee. Well, it's going to take another one to decide. it. here comes ring announcer Manny White. Bobo Brazil just put a cocoa butt which is his favorite finishing hold on Dan Miller. And now Dan is in sweet dream land. Well, I couldn't hear, but I think Manny White said five minutes and ten seconds, the time of the fall, Whipper Billy Watson and Bobo Brazil over the Miller brothers, Dan and Ed, and that squares the match at a fall apiece.
0: All right, I'm pleased to be joined online right now by one half of the National Wrestling Clipping Alliance tag team, uh, Jess. How you doing, man? Thank you. Hello, hello, hello. Thanks for having me out, man. I'm so excited to be here. Now that we're on round two, from various yeah. technical <laughs> <laughs> difficulties from the first time we were going to record, but I'm I'm so happy to have you on tonight uh, for quite the topic that we're covering this month: Whipper Billy Watson and. It's interesting because you know, this is somebody who, and we're going to get into it, whose career life uh, story has really touched the hearts and minds of of Canadians from really the 30s till today, and across generations and and across uh, all types of social constructs. It's really, he may be the most impressive person in Canadian professional wrestling history in that aspect of the professional wrestling business?
1: Uh Hard to argue. Uh, there is a reason
0: he's ranked number one in Greg Oliver's book. Yes. Uh, <laughs>
3: top, top Canadian. But no, it, I find with Whipper, too,
1: a lot of people, like our generation, unless you study, you don't know who he is. But, like, for example, I was just at a flea market looking for newspapers, right? So i look find these clippings the girl was shocked I knew who whoever Billy Watson was. She's like, what does a young man like you want to know about him? I'm like, well, hold on a second. What do you
0: want to know about him? Yeah. Perhaps she didn't know that you had binders and binders upon, yeah, right. uh, upon right. uh, clippings so. to, to uh, further your knowledge. I guess, you know what, that kind of segues us into a, a little bit of, of a backstory about yourself and what's happening with uh, the program with yourself and West, but more specifically, what drew you into the clipping aspect of professional wrestling history?
1: So for me, I was just like, I got stuck in the eighties. I didn't know where to go. Right? I was like, I, I know there's wrestling before nineteen eighty. Yes. Well, where? Like, I needed help, so I reached out to Greg Oliver, and he kind of helped me. And then I met him and kind of took on Ontario super fan Terry Dart's abundance of loose papers and he's like listen he was a super fan he wanted and he passed away but um, he wanted to leave that with a fan and Greg's like hey if you want to spend the time and put it together then so I feel like I'm kind of completing his work but it just led to more and more of my knowledge and probably the Three years solid now of just putting these binders together. I got about nine or ten of them. But I, <laughs> it, it, it really just opened your eyes about the local stuff here. Let alone, it's not just Vince, right? It yes. goes beyond Vince McMahon
0: Jr. Yes, yeah. I always love seeing on on Twitter and on Facebook as well you, the pictures of your binders of of just the vast array and assortment of materials and like. You know, they're all labeled like, you know, whoever whoever it was and the, the years specific, too, right? I, I really enjoy that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, the Toronto binders I always have. I have the 50s and 60s Toronto binder, the uh, 70 to 89, 90 to now. And then, you know, Wes will make fun of me, but I don't care. I
3: have the Hulk Hogan <laughs>
1: binder. I got the Hulk Hogan binder with all the Hulkster or stuff in it because, like, that's. It's our
4: era, man. Yeah.
1: Like, it wasn't a Hulk right? Yeah, one hundred percent. The Terry Justice binder is just gold that I have. It's just, oh my god, the the stuff you just like. Oh wow, he was here this week, and then he was here next week, and we just love to share it, man. So that's I love
0: it. Yeah, which I obviously you know, with my interest in the history side of things, I, I love seeing it, and I get such a thrill that. You know, it's it's not just the older generations, and this is something that we'll discuss later on in our conversation tonight, but it's, you know, now it's, it's people a little bit older than us, right? Now it's us, and hopefully getting, you know, our kids into it, and obviously that's a conversation we'll have a little bit later, but how this all ties into our conversation tonight is naturally a lot of the information that you would have in some way, shape, or form would be tied to... In some point to Whipper Billy Watson. Now, for yourself, and you were saying that you you know you're stuck in the '80s. You want to see what else is out there? Was Whipper Watson a name that had come to you before you started the wrestling research? No,
1: I didn't know who he absolutely was. No, and I'm, I'm not afraid to admit it. Like I didn't know who Whipper was. I didn't know a lot of the guys probably discussed tonight, I didn't know who they were. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know who the sheik was. I thought that was the Iron Sheik that yes.
3: I saw on the <laughs> WWE, right? But it's like no no, no no, silly Jesse, right? Like and then it just kinda of opened up like the Detroit side and then
1: because I was so focused on Whipper Watson and the Ontario side, then I kind of branched to the borderline, right? And got to the Detroit side. So Yes. It's 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 wild man to what's out there. <laughs>
0: So I I know that yourself and Wes with the old podcast, the Ontario Wildman podcast, you guys had done a two-part episode actually on Whipper Watson where you guys did what I thought was an excellent job going essentially uh, year over year where he was, what he did, uh, his feuds, you know, all that kind of information. I highly suggest that everybody can go check that out. I'm actually going to put a link to that in the show notes on today's episode so everybody can check that one out. Tonight's going to be a little bit different. We're not really going to get bogged down in, in the year-to-year, but we're going to give a, a really good look at some of the more fascinating aspects of what happened, and a lot of the information that, that I've come across and that you uh, were able to impart in that episode, some of the bigger stories, some of the more fascinating aspects is what we're really going to dial into today, and I think it's going to really, uh, really shed some light and open some eyes of, about not just Whipper Watson, the wrestler, but Whipper Watson, the individual, and what he had to go through in terms of uh, trials, tribulations, obviously, you know, the, the tragic and horrific end to his career. And I guess, you know, in, in terms of stories that are almost, you know, you, you wouldn't believe them if they didn't actually happen in history and were, and were uh, provable fact, we got to get into, you know, Really early into his wrestling career. Uh, earlier on in the program, we had discussed how he kind of got his start, but what really changed the trajectory of his career was going overseas, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Oh, definitely, definitely. That, that It's funny who went on that trip, right? Like, it was, you had Whipper Watson, and then, you know, Tiger Tasker. Yes. I think. Yeah, yeah right Al Corman and Tommy Nelson I think
0: yeah Tommy Nelson yeah
1: yeah yeah right like those four guys went over and it's just it's just wild You get like if you think of 1930 right and then he's over there wrestling and then a guy was late coming over right so it's like I don't know man it's just so when you put hindsight on on everything now and really say, like, would he have been the person he was if he didn't go overseas?
4: Yeah, that's correct, and, yeah. And that's,
1: like, the, bene- that's the benefit of, like, guys like you and I have, and, like, people like Wes, and when st- studies, like, looking at it on a greater aspect, going, man, imagine he didn't go. Would he be the person he is if he didn't go?
0: And that's, that's right? a fascinating way to look at it as well, because not only was, and, and we'll touch on this in a minute, what happened with the name situation, but yeah. the style of wrestling I think is really something that that he brought back here and really improved upon. And mm-hmm. you know, I was, and, and we should also frame this in the context of the years that happened. So we're talking nineteen thirty six, while well, in two years the world's at war, right? Yeah. But well, but yeah. but exactly, and 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 even before, you know the eastern europe was already in a bit of turmoil at this point in time right so it's it's not like it's not like today where you can hop a plane and and go to england and, and do a tour right he's on a boat ride for for how long right like you said the the guy who is going to be his namesake originally misses <laughs> misses his time and yeah, the and
1: original went to
0: the boat. Yes. <laughs> yeah, literally missed the boat. <laughs> Which is, is in and itself, just a, a wild story, right? Because, again, Whipper Watson, you don't really, you don't equate to the actual person behind the name almost until you read the story of, of how he came into possession of that name. So maybe we should touch on that before we get into some of the, the harder aspects of his time in English.
1: Uh, yeah, it's, it's wild, eh, that he goes, there is one name, and then he takes on Whipper Watson, right, or Billy Watson, I
0: should say. Yeah, it was Billy Watson, made, yeah.
1: Right, he got, he took the name Billy Watson, and then the guy that showed up that was supposed to be Billy Watson, he was like, well, my name's taken, and then he turned into me, <laughs> Pat Lannigan. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> it's like, well tell me everything doesn't happen for a reason man. like, but it's kind of significant, too, like, say, 1936, like, overseas, and then, he's supposed to be a certain name, and then,
4: oh, damn, well, we really booked this guy on the posters. Yes.
1: Billy Watson, right? So, now you have to be that guy, which is what's common, right? Like,
0: yeah, there's, here, there's there's no Google, no Google back in the day or, or anything like that, certain- yeah.
1: You know, I can't pick up my phone and just look this up. Like, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: And then it's just, and then it's ironic that the guy who was late turned into another like great, kid, like half
0: Flanagan. Yeah, half-landing. who who in, in himself is, is a major player yeah. in professional wrestling history as well, yeah, which he is wild. Be wrestling history too. So it's
1: just thinking about how important that trip was, right? Tiger
0: Tasker, Flanagan, Watson. And what's interesting too is, uh, is, you know, we, we hear in today's professional wrestling environment, you know, the British style, right? The mat wrestling, the hard, but back then it was, it was really still a kind of a shoot style of, of professional wrestling. And so not only does, Whipper Watson, not knowing that that as that at this point in time. But he goes over there, gets a name change, gets a, a new uh, lease on the professional wrestling you know career, and gets hurt right away. I think it was uh, he had fractured ribs like his, his second or third match over there, and missed a bunch of time.
1: Yeah, uh, off the top of my head, I'm going to trust you on that, because I can't remember, but I don't doubt it, because those guys, like, the mats
4: were so hard. Yes, and you know, it, I think he was
0: wrestling like Olympic wrestlers over there too. That's correct. Yes, because he, cause I think, because uh, he did a little bit of amateur in Toronto, right? So he took that style over there. Yeah, I believe it was. Uh, yeah, he had a, a fractured sh- shoulder and broken ribs, missed six months. So not only is he now in a foreign land, he's recovering from injury, and yeah, you know. This is back in the day, yeah, exactly. I was just gonna say, right? It's back in the day where there's no guarantees. If if you ain't working, you're not making money. That's
1: right. If you're not in the ring, then you're not making money. But he turned out okay, I think.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I would say so. So, (laughs) in and and it's crazy to think as well, right? So he he has the injuries, um, but he was then being booked by. couple of former Olympic gold medalists actually is who was running the territories over there and they they pushed him as as a top- level guy which really you know once he comes back to Canada really is able to elevate himself at that point in time because you know it's one thing to to go through the ranks here you know through the local scene make a name for yourself and whatever but there is a certain level of prestige that I find and you can trace it back through history of guys that have gone away to to another land, another country, another continent, whatever. Come back, and they're automatically that much bigger of a star. And I feel like that that was something that Frank Tunney capitalized on almost immediately when he came back.
1: Yeah, and uh, to give an example for the modern wrestling fans, of uh, an example,
4: Cody Rhodes is a perfect example. Yes, right now went to AEW, did his thing.
1: Came back to WWE, no offense, he's a bigger star than he was when he left. Yes, 100%. So, there's a prime example of that. And, of course, like, what are you supposed to do? The world's at war, right? All you know how to do is wrestle. So, who's in charge? Mr. 27-year-old Frank Tunney in Toronto there. So, he he got, li- he got a line, hey, what what did you do? This is where I was, you know, and this is who I was under.
0: So it worked out. Which is crazy. I guess we should probably touch on that as well. So just in terms of of time frame, he leaves for uh, England in 1936, returns to Canada in 1940, obviously right in the middle of all the turmoil. I I believe it was uh, in the fall of 1940, because I believe he had his debut at Maple Leaf Gardens in October that year. October 3rd 1940 I'll never forget because my daughter was born October 3rd Oh cool So, <laughs> yeah. so I'm like I'll never forget October 3rd 1940 Was his debut in, in the gardens And he's at You know he's 27 But already has a name for himself From, from working overseas And almost immediately he, He's kind of put into the To the top tier level Although there is a bit of controversy that happens around this time as well. And I believe this happens in 1941. Can you expand on what happened there a little bit? Yeah, so apparently as the story goes, um,
1: Whipper made a deal with Frank Tunney about uh, getting a title shot, and it didn't really, like, kind of didn't happen. So, he said, well, I'm going to sue for breach of contract, because I won this tournament, you know, and you're not going to do it. So, he threatened to sue, and well, they gave him the match. And Whipper was huge. He was, uh, you know, he's from East York. So when you're announcing, him, oh, from Toronto in the Maple Leaf Gardens, and you're talking 1940,
4: so Frank Tunney's already been running Maple Leaf Wrestling since 1930.
1: Yes. Right? So, so he, It's not like it's not his first rodeo dealing with wrestlers saying, oh, I'm, I'm this guy, this guy, right? But he caved, and Whipper got his way, and as they say, the rest is history, right? Like,
0: but it is interesting that this is almost... I've, I've only ever come across one other instance where somebody has gone to the papers about a situation in professional wrestling, in my research for this program. Obviously, this is predating the, the dirt sheet, or what we would quote as, you know, modern wrestling media, so the one other time is what we covered in the Chief Don Eagle episode, where uh, Fred Kohler essentially told the papers that he was in discussions with, uh, I think it was the FBI and something else about what happened during the uh, Chicago short count screw job between Gorgeous George and Chief Don Eagle. That's one time. This is the second where somebody has gone to the papers to complain yeah. about to complain about an issue with um with their situation. The difference being that this time. It's the wrestler doing it, which was almost unheard of at that time. Nobody ever used to go, uh, you know, behind the promoter's back, if you will. And I know that, that it was part of the storyline and everything else, but and, and kayfabe was obviously a big deal back then, but it's it's yeah. so fascinating to see how almost immediately Whipper starts understanding how to use the media to really further himself as well. Yes, the the wrestling matches are great, I think he went six and zero in his first six appearances with Maple Leaf Wrestling, but you really start to get the sense of of really the media savviness that you would really that he would expand upon later in life, and this was a really interesting way to uh, kind of kickstart that part of his career. It's uh, um, it's wild that you say that the the. the...
1: Don Eagle thing, I didn't know. That was kind of cool to say because I didn't know that, so I'm going to look into that more. Yeah, listen to that. The the Chicago Screwjob. I'm trying to think. I thought there was one more that went to the
0: papers. I thought it was with the Gold Dust Trio. Way, way in the. Oh, you know what? You you may be right. Maybe I need to uh, further research that part of it. Yeah, I think I just because I just recently read that uh, graph, the
1: history. Graphic novel you can get on Amazon or whatever. Oh yes. Yeah, and I, I thought that he went to the papers, but I'm I'm always unsure. Like I said, I'm just in the fifties. I'm getting to like deep now and trying to
0: get into the thirties, so it's hard. And
1: so I, it's 2022. If I have fun finding, yeah,
0: on, <laughs> exactly. Well, before I mean, before we get into the fifties, we should stay in the forties and really oh, talk yeah. about the ascent of. Whipper Watson, w- during the championship runs, and I guess it, it w- would have been his first uh, title run when he defeated Nanjo Singh, I believe, for the British Empire title. That was uh, April 1942, if I'm correct.
1: Mm-hmm. Nanjo Singh. Lots you could say about the rival between Whipper and Nanjo.
0: Yeah, lots uh- you could say about the person as well, but let's let's touch on the rivalry quick before we get into well- anything else. Uh, the biggest thing for me between
1: that rivalry is the first cage match uh, in 1945. And the the only reason that Frank Tunney invented the ramp was to help Nigel Singh get out of there. That's how much heat he had. Which is, right?
0: which is interesting because uh, prior to that, and I may be wrong, but that was, I believe, the first... Quote unquote cage match in professional wrestling history, and that yeah. was also the first time a ramp was used in professional wrestling history. Uh, sorry, what? And that was also the first time a ramp was used, I believe, in, in professional wrestling history. A rap? ramp? Ramp.
1: Uh, yes. Um, it, it's one of the most famous things for us in Ontario. Um, the ramp, from what I've been
4: told, it was only in Maple Leaf Gardens. Right. Yes. And with Babe Leaf wrestling and stuff like that, because
1: even on TV you don't see ramps until Vince McMahon put up of this huge production. But
4: even still, in his early days, he didn't have a big ramp or anything
0: like that. So
1: it wouldn't be wrong to say that, I guess, in history.
0: And it's you know now it's so commonplace, but I can even think back to you know the nineties. Right, they still had a lot of the walkout just for, just on the floor, right? You, you look at some of the old, or Buddy, <laughs> hey, Ross. exactly, yeah, and they're just coming up from the curtain, right? It's still That's very, right. very old school that way, but yeah, just a just a great little tidbit of history, and obviously something that is going to draw us back into Maple Leaf uh, Gardens. But here's two guys who, you know, Whipper Watson, a big, big time uh, fan favorite again, he's all over the media. He's a big star. He's being pushed as such. Najo Singh is really like the exact polar opposite. This guy is a brutal wrestler. He's evil. He's maniacal. They just have absolute wars with each other.
1: Yeah, and I want to, like, let's put a little bit of perspective on this. You're talking about a guy that's from East York. He's a hometown boy. k in effect.
4: Yes. When Nanjo Singh is saying to the
1: reporters, "I'm gonna make Whipper Watson scream for his life," people are like, "Yo, this guy is legit. Like he's gonna. What, you can't talk like that about this guy." Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it. So and like you said, there's no social media, there's no internet. The papers were the big deal. Everyone would buy the paper. They would see with Billy Watson versus Nanjo Singh, right? This Sunday, or Thursday, I should say, because it's the 40s. Um, This Thursday at Maple Leaf Gardens, right? And then, it's just, for years, like, you talked 1942, and then we mentioned the cage match in 1945,
4: so there's three years of just battles. That's right. And not to mention,
1: Nanjo Singh. Think of the timeline with a name like
4: Singh during a World War Two, Yeah. Had, uh, like, yeah. <laughs> I, we, always, we always say it on our show. Like, we like we,
1: don't want to sound politically incorrect. But at the same time, you have to put perspective on the time. Yes. So, like, the newspapers, like you said, with the media, is wild to them. And then with Nanjo, and then that led to even more rivals. Because, you know, sometimes you got to learn new holes.
0: Nah. well yeah Nanjo but Singh was, <laughs> Nanjo Singh learned a new hold but in a little bit different context than we would normally yeah. see in professional wrestling <laughs> and I sup—I suppose now is probably a good time as any to kind of bring this aspect up and if you're listening to this you can go that which predates this episode is a, is a little um information piece if you will about Nanjo Singh so if you're if you're listening to this episode and you haven't listened to the piece about Nanjo Singh, you should probably put this one on pause, go listen to that one, it's about half an hour, and it'll really set you up for what we're going to discuss now. Because I don't want to get too deep into the weeds, but we should bring up the fact that not not only was Nanjo Singh brutal in the ring, but he was also a murderer in real life, and, and there's, boy oh boy, that story of Frank Tunney essentially getting him out of the big house... Right back into the wrestling ring to face Whipper Watson is that's something that we got to discuss here real quick.
1: I guess money talks, right? Uh, you know, 1940, people want to see
4: Whipper Watson in a ring. You'll pay it a, people are paying a dollar, right, to yeah. go see him or whatever it was back then. And then you need a bad guy.
0: It's good guy versus bad guy. Well, who's more bad than a murderer? Yeah, which right? is. It, yeah, I mean things things that would never fly today but <laughs> smoke
1: bombs. like Nanjo Singh used to hide under the ring and fans used to
0: throw smoke bombs That's right. During, right? I, yeah so I totally forgot like, about that. That's a, that's a huge reason the ramp was invented because he get, he kept getting stuck under the ring cuz the fans were so ruthless which is you know again right <laughs> like just the the wild aspect of of what it was back, like, wrestling really was the Wild West back then.
1: Oh, my God, like, they had no barrier.
0: Their fans were sitting front row, right? <laughs> yeah. And it, you, you ask
1: anybody who saw the sheet what happened to you, if you
0: ran up on him, Oh, right? yeah, so, exactly, yeah. But, but now,
1: it's like, you got the hometown hero facing this guy, and he, you know, like, you know the papers probably said something. I've never found anything saying that Frank Tunney hires a murderer Perchum's basement for or anything, but I mean, you got to figure that Toronto was all over that in the papers. And who's gonna go see it, right?
0: Like, yeah, exactly. Oh, I'll
1: see him. I'll see Quipper teach him
0: a lesson. Yeah, right. I guess. And uh, another aspect, in, you know, how do you ever you know segue from from a murder to the rest of the conversation? But we're gonna try here. Another aspect <laughs> uh, of the of the Whipper Watson story with Maple Leaf Wrestling is when he gets, well, I guess this is a proper segue when he gets cut into the business of Maple Leaf Wrestling. What were you able to, to gather during your research? Because I'll be honest, there's, there's a lot of the financial side with the Tunnies. It's hard to find. And it almost seems like, unless you know somebody really related to the family or somebody who, who knows the information firsthand even today in 2022, it's a lot of conjecture. What were you able to find about Whipper Watson getting cut into the business of Maple Leaf Wrestling? So, I don't know when he got cut into
1: the Maple Leaf Wrestling side, but I know when Sam Muchnick took over the NWA, Frank Tunney and Whipper Watson kind of had a share of that NWA, right? So they... You figure that that they would team up there. He's his money maker. So for modern fans, I always do this. For, so for modern fans, this was Vince McMahon we're talking about. This would be John Cena. It's the cash cow. Yes. Right. So you have Frank Tunney and Whipper, and they teamed up. But um, I think I would have to guess late '40s because they were buying into the NWA to get once Sam Muchnick uh,
0: took over. That's right, and. and- Sorry. Go ahead. Thing too. So we, he had his own territory, but it didn't yeah, last it long. didn't last very long. Now no. it's so. Would you know that? So okay, I guess we should also preface this with that they also bought into the St. Louis territory. So mm-hmm. would you know which came which came first? Did they buy into the St. Louis territory together, and then Whipper got a cut of Maple Leaf?
1: Uh, I would probably think it'd be the Maple. First, and then...
0: The and St. then St. together they... Okay, yeah. Yeah,
1: because it would be, it'd probably be easier going to the St.
4: Louis office. You know how close Frank Tunney and Sam were. Yes. And then... Yeah, yeah so... It probably went that
1: I would have to assume it went that way. You know what I mean? After the beating Nanjo and all the money they made. And then, hey, let's team up and NWA... Let's buy into that and there's more we could talk about that in controversy, I believe, in my own theories, but
0: Maybe we'll have to touch on that in a second too. Yeah, so I'm trying to hold off on yeah. <laughs> that yeah you know, So I, I another big thing that happens in the late forties, obviously when um when Whipper beats Fez for the title in St. Louis, and I guess that's really what kinda of leads to him you know, purchasing a part of St. Louis because that essentially ended up being his home away from home. And they were drawing, you know, 10,000 plus each and every single time that Whipper Watson was down there. It really was, he almost became their, their like out of town, hometown hero, if you will. It was really, really an interesting story there.
1: Yeah, uh, huge. He was a massive name. I mean, even Jim Cornette talks about Whipper Watson and uh, Bill Longston. I think his name was. Yes. Back in the '40s, right? They drew one of the biggest
0: houses in St. Louis, and it wasn't even televised. That's correct too, and and almost no promotion.
1: Exactly. So imagine that—just showing up and being, you know, twenty people, twenty thousand people showed up here tonight. You know what I mean? And, And it's just amazing to see, like, the power, the draw, the drawing ability. Right, with with a guy like Watson and Frank Tunney behind him, right? Like everybody has somebody back then. Yes. Every promoter had somebody, right? Even later on, after the forties, you could say Vince McMahon Sr. had Andre the Giant. You know what I mean? It's the same kind of concept.
0: So. Which is is crazy? You're talking about drawing power, um, you know. That, that term is thrown around so loosely today and I, I feel like a lot of people have kind of lost the plot on what that means but when you're looking at a guy like Whipper Watson who's drawing night after night after night, you know whatever that arena holds he's packing him in and it doesn't matter if it's if it's St. Louis, doesn't matter if he's in Detroit doesn't matter if he's in Toronto it doesn't matter if he's in Montreal, there's a lot of runs out there right? everywhere that he's going He's top of the bill. He's drawing the crowds, right? So it's and, and That's it's right. and that whole his his circuits were wild. I think at one point he was almost going seven days a week.
1: Yeah, I have clippings of him in Oshawa, which is Oshawa, Ontario, which is my hometown, and I it goes all all the way back to the '40s. And you got to think back then you weren't for a long time you weren't allowed to do anything on Sundays in Toronto. Yeah, it's just one of those laws. Right, So, if you're going Monday, you're in like St. Louis, you fly back to, on Tuesday, you're
4: in Oshawa. On Wednesday, you could be in London, Ontario. Yes. And then on Thursday, you're in
1: Toronto, Maple Leaf Gardens, right? Oh, well, it's Friday, off of St. Louis, right, to do the NWA weekend. It, it could just easily just be just that, and he would have made a fortune. But he went everywhere. Like, because he was a traveling champion Like, he didn't care he loved doing what he was doing and it's funny to think by 1945 he was already probably uh, I would say 15 years in because he, he started around 1930 training because if he went to the UK in 36
4: you think 6 years prior to that he was probably training or whatever yeah and then you go over there, so
1: it's not like it took him that long just to be able to have that, and that never left. The drawing ability never left, and that's what amazes me about Wimper Watson, the drawing ability, like you said, which does get lost. Like, you don't see Austin awesome Rock draws anymore.
0: Yeah, right? you don't see anything else. Right. Now, now yeah, it, right. it, it almost seems like it's it's... Now it's the company that'll draw, and that's always been that's been my view on it for a long time here. Now, like you know, when you're going to, um, you know, Monday Night Raw, or you're going to a pay per view or whatever. You're you're going to the WWE. You're not going to see blank. Yeah. You know, insert name here. Uh, you're going to see the show, right? Whereas back in the day, even up till you know the '90s, really. You're you're going to that event to see this person. You want to see your guy, right? And there's, you know, 15,000 fans who Whipper Watson was their guy, right? And you look at numbers, you know, we're we're talking to like late forties, ten thousand plus in every place that he that he goes, essentially that's able to hold that many fans, right? You you even move into the fifties, and and he's you know, drawing fifteen thousand now, and because they got to move to bigger arenas, right? Like one mm-hmm. for for example, I think it was uh, um, fifty, was it fifty six when he he, he ended Theus's six year uh, reign with the title? Yeah, March fifteenth. Yeah, and and, and so they're like, and there's again fifteen thousand fans because they had to find a bigger arena, right? You always you'll hear guys like Cornette and whatever they talk about you know, a match that needed a stadium or a stadium that needed a match, well, you know, that was a match that needed a stadium. And, and like, as as yeah. big as they could get, essentially, at that point in time. Oh, yeah. I mean, you bring up Thez too, right? Like,
1: look at the name there. Luthes. If any, everybody who studies the wrestling history side knows who Luthes is, I would hope. And then you're talking... Can't one, of Canada, one of Canada's biggest draws. And yeah. then you're putting them in Maple Leaf Gardens against Luthes in 56.
0: Yeah. Like, which, which is wild. And, and, and not only that, talk right? About, talk about needing a time machine. Bro. Well, exactly. But, but you know, not only that, you know, you you look down the list of some of the names that he was wrestling in, in the 50s, right? You got, you know... Gorgeous George, there's Pat and there's a lot about Gorgeous George. Obviously, anybody who hasn't listened to the Chief Don Eagle episode, I would, again, <laughs> go back and listen to that in the archives. But, you know, Pat O'Connor, there's, there's Dick Hutton, uh, Hans Schmidt. Uh, Kowalski is one who comes across that time. Buddy Rogers, although he's, he's kind of in the twilight at that point in time. But, von ex- yes, exactly, and, and just the hits keep on coming. And there's, there's one... Other Canadian professional wrestler that he has a hell of a feud from, and this one essentially goes from the 50s into the 60s. We got to talk about his his legendary feuds with Canada's greatest athlete, Gene Kineski.
1: Oh, yeah. You say the 60s, you can really count that all the way up to the the Canadian Heavyweight Championship Tournament.
0: That's Toronto, right. Yeah. Where Gene where, you Kaniski know, was in the finals against uh, Dino Bravo. That's and right, too. Washington yes. was there. Yeah. <laughs> and they were going at it. You know, they were pointing at
1: each other. I think I got an article somewhere about that, or clippings showing that. But, yeah, I mean, here's another guy. I always say Canada is fun. You know, everybody has somebody. Ontario had Whipper Watson. Well, BC had uh, Gene Kaniski. Yes. That's their hero. And he supported the Canadian jacket and everything, but he was a bad guy, and these guys went everywhere. I think me and Wes calculated, I think, in one year alone, they had 89 matches.
4: That's incredible. In In one year, they had 89 matches.
3: So it's like, well, there's only 52 weeks of the year, <laughs>
4: <laughs>
1: you know. So do the math; they're probably going
4: two, two times at le- a week at least. Yeah, a week for the whole year. Other.
1: Like that's insane, but that's how they did it back then. It's not; a, it's a little schedule, right? It's no; it's it's not a. Oh, this is how we hit on a house show.
4: This is how we hit on pay per view. It's no; this is how we go every night. Yes right and
1: I mean Gene Kaniski too he um, even in the tag division against Gene Kaniski like I have I'm pretty sure he teamed with uh,
0: Johnny Valentine that's right yes uh, uh, right and he went against Whipper Watson
1: in another like Bobo Brazil or in the early 60s Bruno San Martino and Whipper Watson who I still think is probably the biggest babyface tag team of the sixties, even though it had, it only lasted a short amount of time.
0: But, but that was when he was on the outs with Vince, I think, right? Vince Sr. Yeah, yeah.
1: This
0: yeah, is, that's this right. Is before
1: he went back.
0: Yeah. So he
1: he, he went back to Tunney, was working, and then after that he well, he went back and we I don't know what
0: happened there. But let's so, stop and uh, stop and think about this one for a second. You have arguably the biggest babyface Canadian wrestler Possibly in history. You could certainly debate it.
1: At this point in
0: time, definitely At that point in time, 100%. Then you have the biggest babyface American wrestler. Because Bruno ruled the Northeast. Like, there's nobody close. Those guys as a tag team is crazy. Yeah, they had a huge,
1: huge rival with uh, Bulldog Brower and Johnny
4: Valentine. Yes, that's right.
1: Yeah. I have clippings of that, like, everywhere. London, Oshawa, um, I think Whippy. I have one in Whitby. Um, but, yeah, they did the whole Ontario circuit, those guys. They, and Johnny Valentine didn't play, man. Like, every night was a – he went hard.
4: Yeah, he was working, night. yeah. So, imagine those battles.
1: A young Bruno San Martino, we're talking, like, 26, 27, before his big 8 Teaming with like the biggest star in Canada against any villains.
4: The Kalmakoffs,
1: anybody. Yeah. It's just it's it's baby face overload.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now before Whipper Watson's career ended due to injury, something we're gonna talk about in a minute, it almost ended due to politics. Yeah. We should probably expand on that a little bit. So so we got to talk about what happened when he he ran for the PC party. That was the story that if if he was elected, he would have quit wrestling right then and there.
1: I think that's what the the story was, right? Um, I know he ran for the Conservative Party, and it's so funny because when me and West did our episode on Whipper Watson, uh, I I did a tally and I was asking people like certain of the appropriate age, like. Hey, do you know Whipper Billy Watson? And it was only two answers. Yeah, the wrestler, or yeah, the politician. (laughs) So you know what I mean. So, but you know, politics is huge, and TV coverage and news coverage, and you got to think the popularity, right, of that of the name Whipper Watson, right? Like, oh, the wrestler. The wrestler's running for office around here. The wrestler's like it's like
4: going it's like going into the hometown restaurant and them just front you the bill right yeah. like <laughs> oh, no problem but he lost
1: you know he, he didn't win he lost by i think 3000 votes yes if uh, my, my so, mind serves me correctly
0: so it's you know it's wild cuz he's you know this is 1965 uh, the in the federal yeah. election uh yeah he lost by uh 2500 give or take a couple but, but it's yeah. it's wild that, you know, it could have ended there. It would have ended on quite the high note because, you know, he's still a big drawing power at that point in time. Actually, he had a bit of a oh. career resurgence at that point in time. But, you know, it doesn't end there. He moves on a little bit, and then we kind of move into, into the 70s. And this is, you know, at the time, he's at the tail end of his career. But, man, the way that his career ends is... is really something tragic and really something that's not been reported properly on. I I feel like in terms of wrestling history, what can you tell me about what happened with his career ending accident?
1: Uh, well, before his accident, I want to touch on just one thing,
0: uh, the 30th anniversary of Maple Leaf. Oh, of course. Yes, please.
1: Yes. So the 30th anniversary of Maple Leaf wrestling, um, I consider the passing of the torch because Toronto was full swing into the Sheik and Whipper Watson versus the Sheik. I think it drew 18,000 people.
4: Yes, that's correct. Right, and packed the gardens.
1: So at least I'm, I'm very happy that he got that moment of like a huge... I, he had a lot of moments but think about that 1971 the Sheik the most hated man on the planet yes uh, at taking on our hometown boy and then it's funny too because I bring up the rival with Bulldog Brower, and Whipper just like Gene Kaniski Bulldog Broward played a huge rival in Whipper Watson's career so for Bulldog Broward to have the final tag match with that's kind of that's pretty cool like a a big let's take a big look at the whole picture here you rival with this guy your whole career and then the last little couple years you tag and then you have your final match with this guy so things came full circle uh about the accident it's funny um i have something i think from the toronto sun in 71 yeah right here I can read it for you if you'd like.
4: Yeah, please. We're going to talk about it. So I'll show you first. This is from The Spectator, December 7th, 1971, from a Hamilton newspaper. So I'll show you first. Yes. Right? So,
1: yeah. Um, Before I even read anything, the accident, he got hit. From what I've been told, he got hit by a drunk driver. He was loading a fireplace into his trunk. And on a winter night, and a drunk driver kind of just swerved or hit, lost control, and,
0: and
4: he broke his
1: leg, like mangled his leg. Uh, he went to St. Mike's Hospital in Toronto. Uh, St. Mike's to this day is the trauma center of Ontario. I don't know if anybody knew that, but yeah, it is. Um, funny enough, I did work in St. Mike's on the same floor he was on at oh, one no point wait. time so that's <laughs> kind of wild too but yeah um, the accident it, it could have been looked at two ways like yeah it's it's a tragedy that we lost this guy wrestling but it also opened up a whole other humanitarian side for him so the hospital trip kind of like ended one, tri- one part of his life but opened up a whole new other side of his life that he devoted it to. So.
0: Yes, and this is, you know, something that we're going to be touching on a little bit later on in the program with uh, your tag team partner, if you will. But I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves right now. But it's it's yeah. in, it's interesting, you know, in terms of something that I brought up earlier in the program, right? How, you know, he gets into wrestling, then he gets. You know the media savviness And that really translates into his You know the later career And his philanthrop- philanthropical Work I think even you had trouble With saying that word when you guys uh, <laughs> Had your program as well Which is you know There are guys in wrestling where You know They they retire They're broke busted and, and done Right and they have nothing to show for it. Then you have a guy like Whipper who Made you know piles of money, easily could have retired rested on his laurels and just gone and done whatever, but instead goes into really devoting his life to charity at that point in time.
1: Yeah. It's crazy too, because I just looked down here while you are talking, and it says Watson at 55. So the guy was 55 years old wrestling, still. Let's put perspective on that for a second. Yeah. And then, you know, he gets hit. And It says his left leg was mangled and encased in a cast from toe from toe to groin. More than three hours of surgeries were needed. So, I mean, you're talking. You're he's not. He wasn't a small guy, you know.
3: Yeah, like, he had the
1: big cast. But yeah, man. I don't know. It's it's weird when you really like I said when everybody gets to hindsight of 2020 being on our side and looking at everything. I don't want to dabble too much because I don't want to get Wes upset. Wes upset <laughs> up. he, might get a, he, he may just get a super kick because you know how much he loves Shawn Michaels. Oh, so. yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I guess, you know, as we start to wrap up this portion of the conversation tonight, you know, it, it, in terms of your research with Whipper Watson, Was there anything that really stood out to you as, like, you know, something that we haven't covered, or maybe something that we have covered tonight? Something that really stood out to you as, like, I can't believe this is actually something that has happened, or I can't believe this guy actually did blank.
1: I mean, it's kind of cool that you have, when you look back on the ramp thing, like we talked about earlier tonight, and how. Anybody who faced Whipper Watson was that hated. They had to hide under the ring or need a ramp to elevate them <laughs> off the ground to get them out to of To get it. them
5: away. <laughs> you
1: know, and like, you look back at the names too. Bulldog Brown, Johnny Valentine, Gene Kaniski, Dick Hutton, he said. You know, a name that we didn't mention, uh,
4: Elio DiPaolo. Yes. Uh, a huge, huge tag
1: partner for him in the 50s. And, uh, I think some of the 60s, but, you know, it's just, is he the best of all time? Well, you know, I'm a little biased with Bret Hart, but different times, different stages, different productions, you know, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm just happy that I got to come out and talk about Whipper, man. Uh, anytime to talk about the whip, I'm down. <laughs>
0: And I guess, you know, before I really let you go for the night tonight, there was one question I had to ask because we're very similar in age. I think uh, you're 88 or 87, I think, something like that, right? Yeah, 88. 88, yeah. Okay, so there you are. So, like, I'm 37. Well, I'll be 37 by the time everybody hears this program. But, you know, I'm not sure how it is for you looking back in history, but for myself, it's, it's so fascinating to see these people kind of like speak through the years, speak almost jump off the page of what you're reading. And I get so captivated and enthralled with what they've done with their careers, with their lives, with their personalities. It just, it's so, it's, it's captivating. I'm not sure how, with yourself in your research, you know, what? What what draws you into it? What makes you like you know want to keep several binders of material?
1: Hey, you know what? Um, it's I'm a big uh, there's a couple things I love about doing the research. I'm sure you have your little thing. Everybody has their niche, but I love family trees. Yes, right. So I love seeing everybody who's related. Not like because you never know, right? Because kayfabe was full of effects, so. Yeah, like Abdullah Butcher was from Windsor, guys. He's not the yeah. madman from Sudan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> He's about a six hour drive from my house. <laughs> but, um, yeah, like, even when you dig deep, like, you say the names jump off the page. It's true. Like, one name that jumps off the page for me all the time is Hard Boiled Haggard. And yes. Another name that Whipper fought, right? And, you know, the times. and like you say, like these these guys were wrestlers. They showed up, right? They signed. They played. They played the part, but kayfabe was in effect. So the fandom, like, if you go on the Maple Leaf Wrestling Archives on YouTube, there's footage of Whipper Watson wrestling, right? And I just you, you just see the fans go nuts. Yeah. Right, and it's just a different time. Right, and like we talk about the drawing ability. Dude, will we see that ever again
4: yeah it's hard it to say yeah. is it,
1: or is it just now a show again right I don't go see a movie like I go to Cineplex to see a movie right I go to WWE to see the show
4: I think that's right? a great analogy
1: so yeah right so that but, but if I, the analogy that you gave me earlier I, I when you said it you're like yeah Really, just go see the product, and I'm like, Well, damn, I've never really looked at it like that (laughs) before, and it's kind of true, yeah, right. But, like, and will there be guys like Whipper Watson, Yvonne Robert, Stu Hart, you know, Gene Kaniski? Like, are there going to be guys from Canada that are going to be that significant and make that much of an impact, right? Because, would we have the people we have today without Whipper Watson?
4: Yeah,
0: exactly.
1: Right. How many wrestlers actually know whoever Watson is? You well, never
0: ho- know, hopefully, right? quite a bit more yeah. after listening to this program. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's uh, yeah, man.
1: But regardless, I had a good time talking. I'm really impressed with the research you done, and really, really happy that you invited me out. And- you know, Wes is still upset that the Leafs suck and pull it, but at least, boys, at least, at least Matthews won the Leafs something, yeah. so. All
0: right? Alright, Jesse, man, this is an absolute blast. Thank you so much. I'm going to have to have you on again, and uh, I look forward to seeing what else you guys come up with on, uh, on the Facebook groups and on, on Twitter as well. Yeah, man,
1: looking forward to it. Anytime you want to have me out, let's do it. I'm down.
0: Now, to further dig into Whipper Billy Watson, not just the wrestler, but also the man, and especially into the philanthropic aspect of his uh, life and career, I'm going to bring on the second half of the National Wrestling Clipping Alliance podcast duo, or tag team, if you will, uh, Wes. Now, Wes was an absolute treat to talk to, and actually he now lives, uh, about 30 minutes north of me, so I can call him the, the northerner, if you will. But, um, Wes is gonna come on the program. He's gonna talk a lot about the personal side of Whipper Billy Watson. And we get into a lot of conversation about what Whipper meant to the philanthropic, uh, community in, in Ontario. And it's really an eye-opening Conversation, in my opinion, because you know, you can you can read stuff on paper. You can read well, not that many people read stuff on paper nowadays, per se, but you can read stuff online. You can read stuff via Twitter or on Facebook or whatever. But when you're having the conversation and you start really understanding the scope of certain things, is uh, it's really really fascinating and just gives a much deeper appreciation if you will, about uh, Whipper Watson and what he meant to Ontario as a whole, and then naturally Canada on the bigger picture of that as well. But before we get there, there was one part of the conversation that I had previous to this regarding Kineski, because as many folks will know, we did the fantastic Deep Dive episode last season on Gene Kineski. We had uh, author Stephen Verrier and the man behind MapleLeafWrestling.com uh, guest from last month, uh, AC. And on that program, obviously Whipper Watson was uh, a large part of our conversation as well. AC brought the Maple Leaf Wrestling side of it, uh, Steve Verrier brought the... Um, really the bigger picture aspect of it. And we were kind of talking between Jess and Wes about, you know, how many matches, because it seemed like, you know, a ton of matches between Whipper and Kineski. So I went ahead and tracked down and figured out exactly how many matches the two of them had Combined, so that would be uh, singles matches with each other, tag matches against each other, and handicaps matches against each other. Now the number that we had thought was eighty, but the number that I actually came across is Whipper Billy Watson squared off against Gene Kiniski on the other side of the ring, either in singles, handicap, or tag matches. A total of one hundred. 32 times. So think about that for a second. Whipper Watson, who, by the way, in my estimate, had a career match total of 15, just over 1,500 matches. 134 of those matches were strictly against Gene Kineski. And, you know, almost more impressive than that is... You look at his last match against Kaniski was in 1967. His first recorded match, at least against Gene Kaniski, was in 1957. So you're looking at like a 10 year period, a hundred, you know, just over 130 times. It's pretty impressive stuff. And you can tell, you know, that also goes back to the portion that I read from Slam Wrestling from Greg Oliver earlier where Kaniski was just raving about the type of individual the, the type of individual I should say, that Whipper Billy Watson was, and you can tell from the quote, the admiration that he, that he had, he being Kaniski had for Whipper Watson, and my goodness, the proof is in the pudding you can't have that many matches against somebody and uh, and they're all over North America as well, which is even more wild in my opinion, but just, just an unbelievable stat that jumped off the page and, and uh, I just wanted to make sure that that made air. Sometimes I get so much information and there's so much backstory. These programs are, you know, for the most part, so long that sometimes something slips through the cracks and I don't mean it to like last month when I went to bring up the fact that uh, Angelo Mosca had some incredible matches with Abdul the Butcher in Japan, both teaming with him and against him. And I meant to put it in that episode and it fell through the cracks and whatever, just things like that happen. But I wanted to make sure that I put in the Kaniski stuff in here because I think it's really fitting. And again, draws back to our Kaniski episode from last season of Grappling with Canada. So I think A perfect way to tie this segment into Wes would be a little in-ring action where we have a little interference ran on Whipper Billy Watson by that dastardly evil Gene Kaniski. So I'm going to play some more classic in-ring audio. And on the other side, my great conversation with Wes. Here we go.
6: fans, a little treatment from this and A man is not too well, and now Watson has the whole family applied. Watson has the whole family. Now the Kunitsky comes into the ring and breaks it up. This big Gene Kunitsky came into the ring and broke it up. And there's and there's Watson carrying the coat of Kunitsky. Watson ripping that coat of pieces of Koniski and there's Martin Muscato in there with his men and they're trying to subdue Koniski but Koniski's gone crazy and both Koniski and Eric are attacking Watson and Martin's men are in there Martin Muscato has his men all trying to push Koniski out and they're all grabbing him they've taken about six men to subdue Koniski and Koniski has lost his shirt his coat, everything everything's dropped off him Kaminsky really took a bad body then at the hands of all those that tried to subdue him. But he he was crazy. And so was his partner. His old old partner's crazy. Christine fans, there's quite a molly going on here. There's quite a melee going on here. As everybody's trying to get order. The fans are going crazy. They're finding it hard to restore order here. But Watson has found a little. Marciano has killed Billy Watson, the winner of this contest, by disqualifying, disqualifying Fritz von Eric. Marciano has disqualified Fritz von Erich and has declared Billy Watson, ex heavyweight champion of the world, present British Empire wrestling champion, the winner. And Watson takes hold of Kaliski and takes all of Fritz by a part of Kineski's coat and holds him, give him into more, the corner. Give him more. He holds him into the corner. Yes, Rocky Marciano. Rocky Marciano there. Took him the on. Disqualified Fritz von Ulrich. In 17 minutes and 11 seconds, I was now raising what can, what's the winner in the wireless contest that I have ever witnessed, and certainly probably one of the wireless wrestling contests that has been witnessed at the Buffalo Memorial Auditorium. Marciano sending Pitmanerick to his to his dressing room. Rocky Marciano probably had one of the roughest times of his ring career here tonight in restoring order in a contest that goes well out of hand for a brief period. And then, then we find Big Gene Kaminsky doing his best to aid at his, his own associate, but so miserably. And so, wrestling fan, Lucky Marciano, crowns Billy Watson of Toronto, Canada, winner over... The big German hustler Fritz Von Erich.
0: All right, everybody. I'm very happy to be joined on the line right now by the second half of the tag team that we mentioned earlier on in the program, Wes Maidman. Wes, how are you doing? I'm
5: good, Dad. Uh, Andy, how are you today?
0: I'm doing fantastic. It's funny because normally a lot of my interviews are. All over the map in terms of time zones or times in the world, or maybe it's tomorrow or maybe it's yesterday. But today, uh, somebody who is not far from where I am in Winnipeg, uh, you're just in St. Andrews, which is not far from me. So I'm super happy to have you on the program tonight.
5: Thank you. It's going to be so much fun. I I love talking wrestling history. No doubt about it. My favorite thing. I can go on for hours and hours (laughs) and days.
0: Which, it's funny because I'm pretty sure I've listened to you for hours and hours and possibly days with between uh, the current project you're working on, but also the Ontario Wildmen podcast that you uh, were previously associated with. So, before we get into tonight's program, do you want to talk a little bit about what the current program is that you're working on?
5: Sure. We, uh, we have um, a podcast on YouTube, on our own YouTube station. It's based on our one of our Facebook pages that we have called the National Wrestling Clippings Alliance. And that's a podcast. And the Facebook page is called the same. We also have the Ontario Wrestling Clippings of the Past and the Facebook tribute page for the Wildman. And everything started with the Wildman and morphed into the Ontario. And Jesse and I came up with the National Wrestling Clippings Alliance. We turned it into a podcast, like you said, uh, which was uh, on the Dave Dynasty Network, uh, the Ontario Wild Men, and we just decided that we wanted to share more, so we're sharing uh, video and audio on our podcast.
0: Yeah, which is certainly, uh, obviously, the big difference between this program and yours is, is the video portion, which I can appreciate as well, because... You know, as cool as it is for me to, you know, sit here and enunciate about all of these, you know, people, places, facts, locations, etc. It's cool that you guys have that actually in in video form on the YouTube page.
5: It's so exciting. I love it. It, it, Just to pull out, uh, and we do do take things from the internet, I'm not going to lie, but a lot of it's from our personal collections and... uh, Referencing and holding up pictures, and oh, look, this is the picture I took it. Yeah, small <laughs> gardens Ric Flair entering the ring, or something, right? It's and uh, it's just a different slant on things, and so I love it. I love doing it, I could do it for the rest of my life.
0: What I've always fascinated with on the uh Facebook group is the first off, it, it is the clippings are are tremendous and the pictures that you guys get and the pictures that other people actually send in because there's a lot of family of wrestlers who are from that area who also are on that group and they they post and whatever but it's the amount of detail that goes into everything and the explanations because you can go in the comments section afterwards and read you know not only okay this happened here but here's the explanation of what happened and who was involved and and all that kind of backstory for for people like me, it's it's absolutely fascinating.
5: The, the some of the people we've talked to, I've learned stuff. I post a picture and I'll say, I don't remember who this mask guy was, say for example. And um, we've had people come in and say, "Oh, that was me. I was doing someone a favor." Uh, blah blah blah. They needed Chris Colt broke his arm. They needed the mask. I did. Yes. Chris Cole to uh, manage so. It, it's been so exciting to learn also as we go on. So I love sharing, but I, I believe me I'm learning too.
0: And it, that's that's what's cool about this you know the projects that you guys are doing as well as the one that I'm doing is you know I'm not sure how it is for you guys with you know the old program versus the new one but for myself, you know I spend oh my god you know, 20, 30, 40 hours on each episode between, you know, the research, production, whatever. And there's been times where it's like, you know, you know, I'm at, I'm at, as they say, nut cutting time Yeah. and something, I find something and I, I have to get it in. And it's like zero hour, 9am as the rocket man song would go. And yes. I, I have to, like, edit my whole program to get this one last thing that I just finally found. It, it's just, it's a never-ending process, but it's, to me, it's so rewarding. I'm not sure how you guys feel about this as well.
5: Uh, I try, Jesse tries to, we both try to not put something in each other's uh, eyeline for the next upcoming uh, podcast. Yes. So there's a bit of surprise somewhere. Sometimes it's just me... Sticking my finger up my nose <laughs> I, Jesse's talking about NWO or something. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> Or or something even worse because I, I, I did get the NWO. I mean, it's just I kind of forgot about it, right? Yes, but um, uh, yeah, we, I'll, pull, I'll pull a picture. I've got something coming up for our next episode. We're going to take that's just I think it was so cool that maybe no one else knows. Oh look what I found! You know, and
3: yeah.
0: it's
5: just great.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. I, I absolutely, yeah. And, and that part of it comes through when you guys are talking too, because there's always that, you know, aha moment between the two of you, uh, when when he provides something that you maybe never heard of before, but when you impart a lot of things that, because you know, the age range is is uh, uh, certainly and. Well, I wouldn't. I was gonna say massive, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's okay. I know he likes to get on you about that. But I wasn't gonna go there. But <laughs> yeah. but it's so it's super interesting. interesting. But I I love that dynamic, and it's it's so interesting. You know, you're you both are almost trying to one up each other's, which I really appreciate.
5: And I I, I love how Jesse is soaking it in. Uh, we take one last week. And I looked at him for a millisecond, and he he pulled it right out. I was like,
4: Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> you know,
5: I'm, I'm throwing names at him going, oh, wasn't that so-and-so? I go, yeah, you, you got it.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that. You know what? History and, and, you know, keeping this stuff alive is kind of what we're all about. And in no more or no way is that more permanent than Right now, with you know talking about Whipper Billy Watson, because here's somebody who was, you know, an, an incredible star, not just in in Toronto, not just in Ontario, but a, uh, an incredible star for all of Canada, and he and he's one of these individuals who, over time, is kind of faded with my generation because, you know, you we and I'm speaking about myself, even people younger, maybe people a little bit, you know, a touch older than me, maybe in their forties who maybe they heard about Whipper from their parents, but don't understand what he actually meant. And, and there are a lot of things and, and we've discussed some of them on the program previously to this conversation, but there are a lot of things and a lot of times, instances and events that don't happen in professional wrestling without Whipper Billy Watson, Uh, chief of those is some of the feuds that he had, and some of the most notable feuds that he had throughout his career. And this is something that, you know, uh, I've done a ton of research on, uh, read multiple books and whatever, but you almost don't get a sense of it unless you hear people who have either seen firsthand or had firsthand knowledge from it. And it's pretty impressive just the the amount of people that were involved and the amount of people who saw it across Canada. It's one of those things that, you know, you, you, you almost take for granted, like myself, you know, getting into history yourself as, as somebody who's saved clippings throughout years, right? We almost take it for granted that, you know, we think that people should know who these people are. And when they don't, yeah, it's o- yes, it, when it, when they don't, it's almost like, w- w- wait a minute, what do you mean? So, so this is something that I'm really looking forward to discussing with you. Is some of the, some of the notable feuds that he had, and these are like, massive names in, in professional wrestling. A lot of people would be very familiar with a lot of them.
5: Yeah, for sure. We we look at. Um, I I never saw him wrestle. I saw him wrestle on TV when I was a kid. Yes, because he, he stopped in seventy one. So you got to put that into perspective. I'm sixty
0: three. <laughs> Carry the seven. Birthday. Yeah, <laughs> my, my birthday was the other day. My like sixty three or sixty four.
5: Sixty three. So yeah, uh, nineteen seventy one was fifty something years ago. Yes. If you were a twenty three year old wrestling fan in, in when he finished wrestling you're probably gone by now. Um, My dad saw it with her, but my dad's like 88. Yeah. So, and, you know, he remembers them, but it's, that part of history, it started in like 46 or something, 1946. How long ago was that? 50, 60, 70 years ago, right? And and that's, no no one's here that would have seen him.
0: Which is crazy, because you you look at the list of names of some of the big feuds he has, or had, we should use that as a, a, a proper phrasing, if you will, but some of the names that he feuded with are like, you know, you name the names and people would know them, and we're going to get to that in a second, but maybe because he's Canadian, and this is something that seems to come across in the majority of episodes that I do, maybe because you know, Whipper was Canadian, we kind of took him for granted. And, you know, people are so quick to talk about some of the names that we're going to discuss right away, some of the non-Canadian names, more specifically. And, you know, it's like a boom, 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 you you can list them off quickly. And then Whipper is almost sort of maybe not in that echelon. I think he should be. And a lot of that is regarding, you know, not only who he wrestled, but the amount of fans that he... Drew to these matches And that's something That we're going to get into As well tonight
5: Definitely uh, A draw I mean he would have Never got The big belts If it wasn't a draw You know You can say that He owned part of St. Louis or He had dicks In St. Louis You can say that Fez liked him uh, there's Plenty of reasons Why someone would get the belt But most of the reasons are Especially back in those days Was that they could wrestle They could defend it They could uh, Protect it and that they were a, a, a draw; they had to be a draw, whether it was in Arizona or Regina.
0: And I think that's one of the more overlooked portions about Whipper Watson not not so much for the for the older generation. I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but you know, people my age and and a little bit older don't understand. You know, when you were the champ, you were the champ for a reason, right? When you were wearing the NWA strap you had it for a reason because you were a draw you could go anywhere and draw the fans and and again you know we're going to get into the feuds right away but it was uh there was a certain prestige that went along with the belt that i feel is is people don't understand what what, what that is anymore because you know there's I think, like i think
5: you missed a word there I think you, you said certain prestige. I think you could have said massive prestige. Yes,
0: you're absolutely correct. And I I misspoke, yes. Um, not, not,
5: to, not to correct you, but the difference between that, those two words back in those days was really important.
0: Yes, yes, you're absolutely correct. and And the amount of prestige that these individuals brought to each promotion that they ended up wrestling in is something that would boost up said promotion, right? And it's, it's, um, something that's really lost today. Like people just don't understand what, because I I mean, every promotion has got 17 belts and they're all interchangeable and what, nobody's a star anymore. But, you know, back in the day, there was that traveling star who would go and make a territory. He would go and make a challenger. He would go and put the next guy over Something that Whipper Watson was especially known for, right? Putting guys over, he never had a problem with it, and that's something that you know obviously we can discuss later on. But you, you know, you don't see that nowadays anymore. It's it's not whether it's because we don't have territories or whether it's because we're just not in that frame of mind. I guess is is it's very it's, interesting. It's,
5: it's just a show now. Yes, and and this it's not a. Um, Exhibition of strength and science.
0: Yes, I agree.
5: Yeah, <laughs> uh, and, and I, I get it. You know, I have no problem going and seeing shows. I like I pay my twenty bucks and get in and watch the enter- entertained, like a movie or a play or the opera or whatever. We can't even put it into perspective what it would be like go to St. Louis in 1953 and see. Pat O'Connor and Whiffer Billy Watson wrestled in the main event. For the yes. National wrestling. They, they had tables that were covered in linen. They were all around the ring. These people, everyone anywhere near the ringside was tuxedoed up. The, the women all had evening dresses on. It was, it was it's like um, the photos that you see from hockey games from yes. the 50s. Yeah. All the men are in suit and ties and hats in the arena. Yeah. The perfect example of how life has
0: changed and I guess, you know, Pat O'Connor is a good one to to you know, bring up as well because you could even say that Pat O'Connor is not even one of his one of the biggest rivals that he ever had in his whole career, you know, not just with the NWA title, but just in, in general generally speaking, and he's had such he had such big feuds and big moments that it's, it's almost, it's laughable when you look at the list of people who he's wrestled and so, you know, maybe we should start with Bill Longston because you know here's someone who many wrestling fans, like many wrestling historians, would be very familiar with. Yes, in in America specifically, but you know, a lot of Canadians would be familiar with him as well. So, let's talk a little bit about uh, Whipper's feuds with with Billy with Bill Longston and what that meant for Whipper at the time.
5: I think it is important because of the star quality of Longson in St. Louis, in Missouri. Uh, like, like O'Connor after basically settled in St. Louis, but as many guys did. Yes. When you're that big of a star somewhere, like you said, eventually someone has to get put over. And, and you know... Uh, Bill Longson goes a uh, year without being defeated in St. Louis, captures the belt, and then defends it for... I, I do have it there somewhere, but... Uh, and then along comes Whipper, and, who is completely baby-faced for, for Longson's wild guy. Not necessarily wild guy, but mean, mean guy. Yes. Let's put it that way, I guess, right? Uh, and they have to have good and bad, but on the same note, they they have to have someone who's going to be a big draw. So maybe Longstrom couldn't draw in California or Texas. Probably in Texas, but Florida, say. Yes. Where wh- Whipper maybe wasn't as big of a draw in California because he, did, he didn't go there as very often. He, he wasn't a big name there, but he still had to produce Sorry, I completely lost the while Bill Longston there.
0: <laughs> That's okay. Yes, yeah,
5: he, he did beat him and a, a big feud
0: in St. Louis, which is is wild. You know, we've heard you know throughout the course of this program and all, all the individuals that I've covered. Right, you you'll hear, you know, the Toronto Detroit connection. You hear, um, Toronto Montreal obviously massive connection there. But Toronto to St. Louis was an interesting dynamic and it seems to have really started around that Whipper Watson era and kind of continued from, you know, the 40s until mid 70s, maybe early 80s is when that that connection really started to fizzle out. And maybe you could draw a, a line between St. Louis and Toronto with Whipper Watson almost at that point.
5: You could because uh whipper was successful and he had money him and Tunney invested to a certain extent in st louis Tunney being former nwa uh, president that uh, during whippers run so we, we we can see the connection by tani and Whipper, and the seeing the dynamic of how Muchnick ran nwa st louis and Toronto ran with Tunney. They were pretty much the same. Big, big arenas, big territories, and they needed both areas needed a big, big bad guy and a big good guy. Yes. They, they, more, more. I think they needed more a massive big guy, and Tunney was it, or I mean, uh, Watson was it. Yes. Here
0: which is interesting because then you you look at somebody like uh like Yvonne Robert from Montreal which is I know we're skipping over somebody but there's a reason I'm skipping over him right now but it's an interesting dynamic almost you know you're playing off the the French and the English at that point right between both territories um yeah. you're playing you know that it's it's like the Canadiens and the Maple Leafs, right? It's, it's that whole... The whole feud which still exists today. Yep. And, you know, it's interesting to go from the dynamic, you know, the feud with Longson to the feud with Robert is just as hot, but it's hot for different reasons, if you will.
5: Yeah, because when they wrestled in Ottawa, they probably went to a draw. When they wrestled in Toronto... Whipper won. Yvonne Robert was maybe more of a tweener. Yes. When they went to Montreal, they reversed. They had to. to. I've seen some matches with Whipper in the ring, and you can see that tiny little bit of, I'm going to say, not not shithead, but a bit of a, you can see he's, he's got the, he could be a, a heel if he wanted to be. Yes. There's a few times when he had when he grabbed guys by the hair and they threw him right over the top rope. Yeah. So it means not like he couldn't do it.
0: <laughs> but it's interesting, you know. You, you, we always look, and maybe this is a a full paw, if you will. But us in Western Canada, we always looked at Whipper Watson as like the the clean cut, the Canadian. Babyface, the ultimate babyface, right? It's interesting to see him going to Montreal and, and kind of play upon that heel persona, if you will, a little bit, which is, which is interesting. Again, maybe that's the Western Canadian bias working a little bit.
5: But but, but you got to look at two, because the other, one of the other big names we haven't mentioned yet was basically a Western Canadian person, and...
3: They
0: wrestled against each other like seven hundred fifty thousand times. Yeah, right? we're we're gonna get to him in a second. Um, but, so that I guess there are two huge names that we're gonna discuss. But before we get into those ones, Gorgeous George was another one that I th- found interesting because, to be honest, I didn't really know that uh, Whipper Watson and Gorgeous George had any kind of feud, which was interesting because there was another Canadian uh, wrestling star who I covered a few months ago Don Eagle who had a very sordid um, happenstance if you will with with Gorgeous George but I, I was wondering what were you able to ascertain about the matches between Whipper Watson and Gorgeous George uh,
5: I, I was a fan of Gorgeous George I would never knock him he could wrestle he could do his thing his, his personality his aura his charisma uh I, I i think that it was by the time they were wrestling in the 50s especially in toronto although i know they went to a certain degree across canada yes that that it was money
4: at Woodford that point
5: knew he was gonna know he, he was gonna make money and george was gonna take his money no matter what and <laughs> and you know they were getting close Especially George was getting closer to the end, had no problem getting his hair shaved off, right?
0: Yes, yeah, and and that was one of the big drawing matches too, right? Was the hair versus hair?
5: Uh, it was.
0: Uh, oh no, sorry, it was it was title,
5: title versus hair. Or
0: something That's like that. right, yeah, title versus hair. You're absolutely but, correct.
5: George didn't get shaved, but his his um, valet got shaved.
0: Part That's shaved. right.
5: Whipper wouldn't cut all her hair off because he's such a great guy. Right?
0: <laughs> what an absolute gentleman, Hey, <laughs> And, and I've
5: I heard from people that some people said that he wasn't a perfect gentleman. And maybe that was the aura that the faces had back then they were always bothered, right? Yes. So maybe a few people in their lifetime bothered him at the wrong time and he told them to...
0: Get lost or something. Yeah. So uh,
5: we. Other than that, his persona was like you said, squeaky clean man. Yeah,
0: yeah. He, he was Mister Clean without the uh, without the merchandising, if you will. Well, he's did pretty good at the merchandising. <laughs> well, that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I maybe I shouldn't say that part. <laughs>
5: so, without the massive advertising campaign behind
0: it. That's true. Yes, absolutely correct. Now and another one who is like you know some of the names we just listed you know uh Bill Longston, Yvonne Robert, gorgeous George one person who does not fit this mold, if you will, is the chic out of Detroit now they had this was later in Whipper Watson's career, if I'm correct, when he started Perfect. feuding with yes, so how did that work between? the chic and whipper and was whipper very involved with the detroit scene at that time as well
5: Uh, off and on through the 60s he worked detroit i i think when he was homesteading especially in the summertime uh tunny had a fantastic summertime circuit in ontario uh whipper would main event for bigger houses around southern ontario the cottage country and stuff and i think during a, a, a few off days a week or a month, he would work Detroit. Uh, off and on, right through the 60s. There, there was a rapport there. Um, I, I'm sure, I can't say, I'm sure the chief respected him for what he was and who he was. Uh, the few matches that they had in Toronto, it, again, just money. Whip, I remember seeing a picture of Whipper in a magazine maybe 1971 or something like that. And there was a picture of him in Toronto uh, in a tag team against the Love Brothers. And, and, you know, truth be known, he was
4: fat. He
5: was old. He was fat. He'd already been in the ring for 34 years, 35 years. Yes. He wasn't taking any bumps. Let's put it that way. So, you, you know, looking at some of the chic stuff that people have said... I completely disagree with most of it because Sheik was a show. It was his entrance. It was his match. It was the after the match. Yes. It wasn't just the four minutes that was recorded that the match was. So Whipper was getting in there for five, ten minutes, maybe a little bit of a nick, uh, and they collected their pay.
0: Yeah. It's... And the
5: fans came out. The fans would have packed
0: it. Yes. It, it, that's such a fascinating point that you bring up because this is, you know, I had done an episode on Abdul the Butcher last year and here's another one where it's, you know, people will will talk about, oh, you know, maybe the match wasn't great, but they have they seem to omit the build and, and they omit the aftermath, right? It's, it's almost like people are so focused on what happens bell to bell that they forget what happened before, what happened after. And and really, you know, back in the day, which is uh, something that we've lost today, and I mean, we could go on and on for hours, I'm sure, about how, you know, nobody gets talked into a building anymore, but, you know, guys like The Sheik, uh, Abdullah, Whipper Watson, right? You're talked into the building. The match is almost irrelevant at that point. It's the, yeah. it's the fact that these two guys have built built up this this match, this stipulation, this whatever you want to say. You want to see what's going to happen, right? They've talked you in. Once you're in, it doesn't matter almost at that point. It's the fact that they they they've gone to the way to bring you into the building, make you feel a part of it.
5: those are excellent words. Feel a part of it. Who who wouldn't want to pay their Five bucks back in the 70s or $25 now and and be part of the show.
0: Yeah, exactly.
5: Whether a uh, heel comes over to you and gives you the, you know, swearing at you or gabbing at you or puts your hat off or something, I know that's verboten, but <laughs>
0: it, it
5: happened, in, happened in Winnipeg at the show we were at um, just a month or so ago.
0: That's right.
5: He grabbed some guy by the t shirt and, and whipped him around and
0: yeah, he spilt yeah. his he spilt his gimmick of fries. I saw that. Yeah.
5: <laughs> and and then the kid was so happy,
0: right? Oh he was over the moon. It's it's funny because I, I ended up uh I talked to Marty Goldstein after the fact and I said, Hey what what happened with uh that was Dragon Eel, I think it was. What happened with Dragon Neal and that and that fan? He goes, Uh, I'm not really sure I'll get back to you. So Yeah. <laughs> So, obviously, a a couple of huge names that we kind of glossed over here. One American, one Canadian that we're going to talk about. We'll talk about the American first. Uh, Luthez, who is like any wrestling fan anywhere clearly knows the legend and lore of Luthez. But you could almost say that Luthez made Whipper Watson, but then Whipper Watson kind of also remade Luthez at the same time.
5: 100%. Good analogy. Uh, he was injured. He, he needed. They, they needed someone trustworthy. This is only what I read. And you've probably seen this in different spots. Also, they needed to put someone over, him. and Whipper was the guy. Uh, so Whipper takes the belt for eight months or nine months, whatever it was. And Jesse's the DJ guy. And and guess what? Someone makes a comeback. He's back. He's he's healthy. He's back. He's not traveling all over the world anymore. And he's the new champion again. Uh, deservedly so, 100%. And there's a guy that was a perfect tweener. He was a great tweener. Yes. I loved him
0: for that. Now, what's, what's more interesting also is another Winnipeg connection because you know, when Luthes was looking to wind down, he wanted to pass the belt to uh George Gordianko, but yes. Gordianko obviously couldn't be the champion because of the whole communism thing, and, you know, something that uh we discussed in our George Gordianko episode. Uh, if you're listening right now to this program, you can go back in the archives. After you're done this episode and listen to the Gordianko episode where we go heavy in detail about what happened there, but it's interesting because... So thez can't make the make the drop to Gordianko he picks Whipper Watson which to be honest was probably the better choice in the long run because
4: uh,
0: as as big of a star as Gordianko was I think Whipper Watson at that time was was a bigger transitional star and you had the the option as well with with Whipper Watson who didn't mind dropping it back right whereas gordianko May have wanted a longer run with it and may put it may have put up more of a fight about you know, okay, I have it now, maybe I can make a bigger run of this, maybe I can expand more into the states. You know, obviously, all of that was kind of kiboshed with his with the communism charges, and he couldn't go there and he had the exclusion order. but it is interesting that you know thez has or wants to drop the belt and he he has a choice and it's essentially two Canadians. So yeah. that part of it is, is super interesting and, and a, really a forgotten piece of, of the NWA history, in my opinion.
5: In, 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 in Gordy I, I, don't, I don't know your whole episode, and I should listen to it. I understand that those kind of people who were a little on the more shooter side, maybe less patriotic towards the National Wrestling Alliance, they might go somewhere and they might just break someone's arm. Uh, maybe they go to the next place and they hurt someone else because they're protect protecting themselves. they Think, thinking more of themselves and the title Yes. than, than what the big picture is. Yes. Gordy was... I saw him actually wrestle on TV in, uh, in the early, early 70s when he was working in uh, Montreal. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I can barely remember but I do remember I did see him. I, pretty think, I think he might have been on the AWA in the early 70s too. Yeah, it?
0: that would make sense. Yeah, that would line up. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting the, what you bring up about, you know, that's the, almost the downside of putting the belt on a shooter, right? Is because yeah. if you want him to do business, you know, is he going to do business? And maybe, maybe that's why... They brought the the money stipulation in later on with the NWA belt because I'm not sure what year that started with where where the the holder had to put up the money. I think that was in the 50s, right?
5: I, I'm not sure, but I know Buddy Rogers did. So
0: yes, okay. So so we're we're in in and around that area anyway. So but, but yeah, Whipper at least was somebody who didn't have a problem, you know, doing the job, if you will. For, for the betterment of himself, which in this case it definitely was, but more also, you know, in, in the, you know, it's it's Luthez, right? <laughs> Who's going to say no to putting the belt back on him?
5: And, and, and you know, I know the NWA wasn't programmed out like how the WWF was, which is still absurd. They could have made so much money on Super Billy really great. But
0: Yes, they could. Yeah, that's... Oh, my God. That's... That. <laughs> that's another one. But, um,
5: so, when you have guys with the caliber of Fez, Watson, that other Canadian guy we're going to talk about, uh, you know, they... They knew. there was a big picture, a massive big picture. They understood themselves. They understood the product. They understood the NWA. They understood how to work They were professionals and we see that with the NWA and then well, you mentioned nowadays, I don't want to talk too much about nowadays. I don't particularly watch it. I just
4: see what I see on my phone. Yes. And there's
5: no loyalty, there's no there's no there's nothing. Yeah, and there certainly isn't any guys in there that could protect the belt.
0: No God no. Trouble walking into rookies here, like we saw that show, right? Uh, a lot of those guys would be in for rude awakening, but uh, <laughs> so, you know, it's funny, we we just talked about, you know, the whipper watson Lou thez dynamic, right? Thez makes Watson, Watson makes Thez. You could easily say the same with the dynamic between Gene Kaniski and Whipper-Watson, where Whipper-Watson kind of made Kaniski, and then Kaniski... Kind of remade Whipper Watson after the fact.
5: I, I think it's kind of reverse of the Fez thing. Yes, because I think Watson made Kinniski more popular, and then vice versa. Whereas Fez made or Watson made Fez more popular because he got developed in the first place.
0: Yes, yeah, and then and then you you look you know because obviously uh, uh, Gene Kaniski has has a. A wild run with with the NWA title something that we discussed in, in our Gene Koniski episode last year but you know you have you you almost don't get that prestige of Koniski be you know Canada's greatest athlete if he doesn't have those that series of matches and, and that feud with Whipper Watson who was essentially Canada's hero at that point in time because there was you know there's the coverage in the CBC you know it's it's you know, here in Western Canada we have like three channels, right? It's the C B C and you get maybe two local stations on your rabbit ears, right? Yeah. So, you know, people all across Canada knew who knew who Whipper Watson was, right? Kaniski, this, you know, evil guy from Western Canada and they sure yeah. played it played it up that way. And rightfully so. And they have their matches he gets the, the, you know, meteoric rise push and then goes with the NWA title and, and, tours, but when he comes back, I think is more interesting because that's kind of at the tail end, to, not necessarily at the tail end, but towards the tail end of Whipper Watson's career and they come back and have a series of matches and, and again, you know, Whipper Watson is at the top of the card and they're having amazing feuds, amazing matches.
5: Yeah. They, they are, They wrestled, uh, in 1957, they wrestled 50, no, 90 times against each other. That's
0: incredible.
5: And that's not the the traveling circus that was say the NWA in the 70s and 80s where the guys just went like this, right? Yes. It was a a box show They traveled. They were in St. John's Newfoundland. They were in Regina. Maybe they hit St. Louis, then they maybe back to Toronto. These guys, like, 90 90 times is like what three times? Three times? How many times a month? Holy oh, shit!
0: Yeah, really though. uh yeah, almost thirty times a month, right? That's that's incredible,
5: right? Yeah, thirty into nine is three. Yeah.
0: Because you you got to figure the whole the, the the run wasn't that that wasn't their whole year either, right? They're still doing other matches in between all of that, which yeah. is you you th- you think about it in the, in the big picture is is mind boggling. But it
5: was perfect feud.
0: Yes, it was. And,
5: and believe me, I, I, I'm a huge Konisky fan. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. We we went on uh, a show. Jetson and I went on a show with a. Uh, Ontario referee called Jim, old school Jim Conley, and they, we did a NWA tournament, and it whittled down to uh, Fez, number one, Ric Flair number two, and Janicki three. Wow! And that was the top, like a top sixteen, yeah, one versus eight kind of thing. And we whittled them all down, and that was all uh, guys who had held the title more than a thousand days
0: or something like that. Oh, so you would have like Harley Race and, and guys like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We had Harley
5: Race, Dory Funk, uh, Pat O'Connor, Buddy Rogers. That was a massive
0: <laughs> And there
5: was a couple guys that I didn't even know. I had no idea who they were. And I just went, eh, whatever.
0: Now, would the, would that be the actual lineage of the NWA or did you guys include the, uh, the kind of history that was absorbed into it? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about.
5: They included Jeff Jarrett. They included some British guy, Nick Aldis.
4: Yes. Yeah, Aldis. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
5: So there's a few more modern guys. Now, I've I've never heard of Nick Aldis before. I watched the matches. I like him.
0: Yeah, he's very much in the the old vein of things. Although I think, I believe Tim Murdoch is their champion right now. I may have to check my... Check my um, modern <laughs> wrestling notes, but, <laughs> but yeah, you know, and you know, going back to our conversation, yeah, you know, you, you look at guys who just matched up well against each other, and it's Kaniski and Watson is just unbelievable. And, and you know, it, it, even in my Kaniski episode, there was a large portion of that episode where, you know, AC was talking about, you know, the Maple Leaf Gardens aspect of it and just the crowds that were there and, 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 you know, how rabid the fans were and people just wanted to see it. Right. And even, uh, Steve Verrier, you know, how, how large of a section of the book was, was talking about that. And and Steve was talking about, you know, he could have went into deeper detail almost. But it, it's, you know, it, okay. it, it it's really incredible. Just that, that series of matches and that but feud. I,
5: I think if I was going to say two wrestlers who I like a lot, I would say Flair and Steamboat. Although Flair, in my eyes, he's not anywhere near what Knifty was being the heel. Yes. I, that would I would compare those two for the time the amount of times they wrestled um, and the places they wrestled and the aura of their matches
4: yeah I, I would she, agree
5: you could say that she can go Brazil yes because if you've got those two guys there that have wrestled against each other so many times but it's there's no wrestling
0: yes yeah it's a war yeah yeah. So, you know, naturally we've talked about, you know, some of the big feuds, but one thing we've kind of neglected to mention is some of the big houses that were involved with Whipper Watson in, in some of these feuds. And, you know, we've talked, you know, AC has been on this program a couple of times before, and we've talked about some of the houses, you know, in the Maple Leaf area, you know, 10, 12, 13, 14,000, you know, and, and you're talking about each and every day on a circuit, but. Whipper is one who just, he, correct me if I'm wrong, please, but he set every attendance record from like, uh, I want to say the late 40s, almost throughout the entire 50s and into the 60s in Maple Leaf Gardens. 100%.
5: 100%. No, no doubt about it. There's no one bigger. I, I'm sure if we can look at the stats, and AC has those stats, uh, you could say, okay. Uh, Watson is not going to be on three cards in a row, and it's every day, every week.
0: Yes, that's the most important part, yes. Um, The,
5: the crowds different when he wasn't on the cards. Yeah, I, it, I, bet, I bet a million
0: bucks. And it's crazy, because, you know, he's drawing, you know, se- what was the number that they used to draw in Maple Leaf Gardens? It was like 17 and change, right? It was. Seventeen five was like a sellout. Yeah, that was like the absolute like you you were turning people away, and and you can look through the years, you know, forties, fifties, sixties, and these attendance numbers, and he's drawing week after week after week after week that he's when he's there. I should specify that because that's an important um, part of this equation that we're going to talk about. But not only was he a big draw in, in Maple Leaf Gardens, but he was a huge draw in St. Louis, which. I found fascinating because, you know, you you hear about, you know, the kind of cards that they were running there, obviously Sam Muchnick, and you heard about the payoffs that he was, and apparently he was a very fair payoff guy. And I mean, money is something that we can discuss in a little bit, I suppose. But, you know, some of the crowds that they were drawing with, with Whipper there versus whoever the opponent was, or Whipper versus the hometown guy, however you wanted to phrase it. But they were drawing huge in St. Louis, massive crowds.
5: And that's testament to how a guy gets over. There's got to be that point of charisma that holds no matter where he's going to be and and whether st louis okay we we know what he did in toronto we know it's drawing power here but when you can do it somewhere else that's not necessarily no one knows about whipper watson's safety club in st louis no one knows that none of the kids there are signed up you know for this charity he has, for this school thing he has right where hundred thousand kids signed up for this safety thing that they get a little and with his picture on it or something. So that transitioning from being such a big star to other cities proves his power and his drive.
0: Now there's something else that you brought up earlier on in the program that I, you know, we're really going to circle back to here is when Whipper bought into the St. Louis territory. Now, obviously that, you know, kind of goes into how big of a story was because obviously you're not getting a piece of the territory if you're not, if you're not drawing, right? Yeah. So was that more, um, Tunney and Watson going into the territory or was that something where Watson kind of gave, you know, a piece of his part to Watson or what was the, what was the dichotomy there?
5: I'm not really 100% sure of the dichotomy, although I know around that time frame uh, Tunney had been a pre- the president of the NWA, it was only once. Yes. And uh, a lot of I've read that a lot of people did this. And, you know, we probably, Briscoe's probably owned part of Florida. Um, different guys owned different, Sheik even owned part of different territories too at one time or another, yes. right? So, I think... I don't know the facts, I really don't, so I shouldn't even surmise. Other than it's it's a known fact, and they probably went together because they were – he was Chinese moneymaker, for sure.
0: Yeah, so it would make sense at that point that he wants to kind of protect his investment, I'm sure. Yeah. Right, and because he's such a drawing power in St. Louis, it would almost make sense that you want to have that um, – Business connection, as well as the, you know, fan connection between you know, um, Whipper Watson and what's happening in Saint Louis.
5: So you know, maybe I've just just popped into my mind. Maybe Frank was thinking, if, gee, if Whipper ever gets to be the NWA champion, and he's my guy, if we buy into Saint Louis and he does get it, I'm going to get the National Wrestling Alliance champion in my house. Yes, a lot more.
0: That's an excellent point. You know what? I never would have thought about it like that. That's an excellent point.
5: Because uh, that was one of the problems with Quebec. Uh, they wanted a world champion, and they, they couldn't get one, so they you know, they created uh, Yvonne Robert, the Montreal Athletic Commission world title, and then that tied up the Boston world title from Montreal, which was back in the 40s also, right?
0: Because that would have got tied up with the, the the AWA title out of Boston, I believe at that point. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which like that's a <laughs> about a can of worms that we could go into. I'm sure that. <laughs> yeah. That, that's,
5: that just popped into my mind, and I'm thinking that's probably one of the reasons. Yeah, why that's it. that's
0: a tremendous. You know what? I'm. I can a hundred percent agree with that. With that supposition, I think that makes a ton of sense. Right. If you really boil down to, like, the dollars and cents, X's and O's, whatever you want to say, like, that that absolutely makes sense. Now, in, it, you know, we talked about some of the feuds, the houses were incredible, uh, something that we talked about with Jesse uh, earlier on in the program tonight, but something that we didn't talk about with Jesse was what kind of happened at the end of Whipper Watson's wrestling career, you know... We'd, we had discussed his horrific accident which ended it, but we didn't really discuss what happened after the accident. And this was something that I was really surprised to learn about was the, was the charity side of Whipper, Whipper Billy Watson. Can we uh, discuss a little bit about what happened after the accident that Whipper Watson had that ended his career and how we got into the charitable side of things?
5: Sure. I, I, I just wanted to say one thing that... Something that's forgotten and not known overall by most people was that uh, the wild man, Dave McKegney, here in Ontario, there in
0: Ontario. <laughs> yeah, there. Well, we're just, we're neighbors still, so there's that. <laughs> um,
5: him and Watson went into partnership.
0: Oh, that's in, right, too.
5: In, in the in the mid 60s, uh, Dave, was, Dave was, McKegney was starting to run all the smaller towns and he was getting more of a draw and more of a pull. And him and Watson went together so that Watson had the connections. Dave had, uh, he had some guys, he had like a small troop, right? Of guys. And they worked together for about two or three years and it was really successful. Uh, Wild men ran mostly in the summertime. So they were hitting all the small towns, arenas that were empty and they were doing really, really well. Uh, because of Watson being with him, they were able to pull some fantastic stars. Moolah wrestled for them. Uh, Hans Schmidt, lots of people that were in the area for that. Those I don't have a name for the company. Uh, I just n- never found that information. But it was, it was. They were, they did form a partnership up until about 1969.
4: Yes, that's correct. Yes,
5: <clears throat> but after that. Um, you know, uh, Lord Layton was really, really famous for announcing in the area in Cleveland and Detroit and Toronto, and then back to Australia, and then back again to Ontario. And he was um, very famous because he was a a, a shriner, and I think that's where Abdullah Fruit got the Fez idea. Yes. For the manager for the sheet, Watson. I never took that that path, but he blew it out of the water. Um, I got a small list here. He was an active member in the following charities. He worked for Cystic Fibrosis, the Hugh McMillan Center for Crippled Children, which is a very famous hospital in Toronto, Yes. Multiple Cirrhosis, the Rumble Center for the Beef, which is a deaf beef. (laughs) You say spaghetti, I say spaghetti. Um, The Canadian Parapolitic Association. And and those were all things that he was involved in. He would go speak at the um, dinners and things like that. But his fundraising was phenomenal. He invented winter uh, advocates and snow festivals. He did summer things. He actually, in some degree, became more famous after his career. Then, yes. Um, I know Jesse says that uh, he was talking about Whipple Watson, and, oh, that's the guy who was doing all the fundraising for the crippled kids. They they knew that more than wrestling. Yes. So, it, it,
0: go ahead. And the, the, there was some interesting anecdotes that I had read over my research about him and and the charities where it was like, if he, like, he would do anything almost, provided that it was not like you know, somebody trying to take advantage of him being the wrestling star, right? If if he if he knew that it was for like specifically for a charity and they needed whatever, he was all in. But if it was somebody who you know had deep pockets and maybe they were just trying to take advantage of you know the Whipper Watson name, then he would kind of maybe not be associated with that, which I think is an interesting part of it as well.
5: The the um, aspect of him being tied to anything had to have been, because of his persona, would had to have been 100% true. Yes. Uh, he he was not going to turn his name with something that wasn't 100% bonfire. <laughs> Excuse me.
0: Wait, and you know some of the numbers that I've read for, you know, some of the amounts of charities that have gone on throughout the because there's still a lot of these still have his name tied to them, and you know you're you're talking about amounts in the, in the millions or tens of millions of dollars that that have been raised since that you know I'm looking at um, uh, Easter Seals for example, you know th- throughout yeah. throughout his. His time with them, you know, into the future. Now, in Easter Seals is something that's also here in 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 Manitoba. You know, they're over the sixteen million dollar mark, and you got to think like that doesn't start with really without Whipper Watson, which is really incredible, and the amount of money that's been raised continually year after year because of you know him getting it off the ground, him being a part of it, and then you know maybe today people don't know that. That part of it, maybe they don't know how much he put into it at at the beginning of it, if you will. But my god, it's really incredible and really a testament to him as an individual,
5: as human as a human being. Yes, not not just a star.
0: Yeah, because he didn't have to do it. Right, he could have easily sat at home and counted his money.
5: Yeah, hundred percent. And we, you know, we look at. He was a successful businessman away from the ring, and he just took that into his whole life with charity, which, which is a phenomenal uh, attribute to have. Yes. I mean, we all like to volunteer. We all like to uh, share our time with organizations. I know I have in the past more than I should, that probably, <laughs> but, but he just transitioned his life from the ring right into um charities
0: which uh, like i mean obviously his wrestling career was incredible and it, you can probably say it may never be duplicated the way that the way that he did i don't think he'd ever be duplicated to be honest with you the way that he had it all but my goodness you you look at some of the wrestlers who are big now for charity you know like the John Cena-ism, whatever and it Great, fantastic stuff that they that they're doing, but it's oftentimes um, company setups, right?
5: I, you know, you don't you don't like to think that, but it's probably
0: is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Whipper Watson just kind of, you know, I, I understand his career was out, but he didn't have to do what he did, right? And the fact that he did it is absolutely incredible.
5: People. I don't think that people like that made anymore.
0: Uh I I hope that there is, but <laughs> I, I shouldn't I shouldn't
5: I shouldn't be negative, but I think that there it just won't be people like
0: that. Well I hope or, you're wrong. Or, uh, that's, maybe, that's 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 the they, optimist maybe, part of me I guess.
5: Maybe they fly under the radar. <laughs>
0: Well, if they if they do I wish they didn't almost so we could have something to you know
5: be uplifted by
0: yeah you know especially yeah. now right you'll you look at today's environment I don't you know I'm not just specifically talking about wrestling at this point but you know it's you you almost need somebody to look up to like that who is who's is selfless and and would just go out of their way to do stuff and Boy, oh boy! If we could have a few more Ripper Watsons in in this country right now, I think we'd be in a we'd be in a helmet position. I think
5: we'd be in a lot better position. Yes.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree. You know what, uh, Wes? This has been absolutely tremendous. Um, before I let you go, is there anything that we didn't cover that you wanted to touch on? Uh,
5: not, not really. I I wish I had been a little bit more with details, but, uh, it's great great talk to you. Great to be on the show with you. Uh, I'm really looking forward to listening to, the, I listened to part of the Gene Konisky episode, so I'm looking forward to going back and listening to that. Sure. Uh, we, I, I just love Gene Konisky.
0: <laughs> He's so great. It's incredible. Yeah. He, that was one of my favorite episodes from season one. And you know what? My only regret about doing that one is that I did it so early in the, in the, for a season, <laughs> but, <laughs> okay, but yeah, this, this has been great. You know what? Before, before I let you go, because I love what you, what you are are doing with, with the uh, clippings and with the podcast. So once again, can you let everybody know where they can find the clippings page on Facebook and as well, where they can find uh, the podcast on YouTube?
5: Sure. It's that N W C A National Wrestling Clippings Alliance, and that's both the podcast on YouTube and the Facebook page. Those the Facebook page shows clippings from all over the world, pictures, posters, whatever we dig up, stories. Uh, our other pages are the Ontario Wrestling Clippings of the Past, and then my longest-running Facebook page is the Wild Men, which is coming up to seven years old. Wow. Uh, I think about 1,100 members, many of whom are either former wrestlers or families of wrestlers. And uh, one of my favorite things to do, and Jesse also, my partner, on, on, on show, <laughs> uh, um, we like to help out family members who have, don't have anything to show for the parents careers awesome and we, we i don't think there's close to 50 people we've helped find at least something. wow
4: nothing. uh
5: even just one ad of a guy who was only wrestled for three or four years uh his dad's been gone for like 20 years and he's got nothing and that means so much to some of these people right
0: that's it's incredible. I love that. That's that's so incredible. And for anybody listening, uh, you can look in the show notes of today's episode. You'll find a link to uh, the YouTube page as well as a link to the Facebook group. Uh, Wes, this has been so much fun. I have to have you on again. And uh, pick awesome. your brain. I think there's uh, a few more subjects du jour, if you will, that'll be coming up in the near future. Let's,
5: let's hit um, the wrestling story of North Dakota.
0: Let's do it. <laughs>
4: uh, so,
5: thank you so much for having me on. It's been really nice to talk with you. I love the idea of sharing history. I love the idea of wrestling podcasts. I wish you continued success also.
0: Now, before we head to the finish of tonight's program, there is one more audio clip that I wanted to play. Now this one is an interesting interview. From the CBC. And it really shows. The personal side. Of Whipper Watson. Not so much. Not not the showman. Not the always working guy. Not even the. The uh, light hearted. Philanthropical guy. But the guy who. Who put his body on the line. Night after night. The guy who was hurt. All the time, the guy who woke up sore each and every day and still went out and performed, like I said, over 1,500 career matches. And of that 1,500 career matches, had won 874 of them for a winning percentage of 58.1%. In this clip, you're going to hear Whipper Watson really explain the toll that wrestling took on his body. And I think that that kind of also feeds into what we were were talking about with both Jess and Wes, you know, the grind of wrestling and then how it was tragically cut short, but, you know, fortunately, unfortunately, maybe it was a good time to get out of, of wrestling itself because, you know, as a lot of guys say, right. Father time does no jobs. And uh, that much is true for for all of us, no matter if you're, you know, someone like myself, or you're a superstar wrestler like Whipper Watson. So I'm gonna play this audio clip. I think it's really eye opening. I think it's a a really good bookend to our Whipper Watson conversations. And uh, on the other side, we're gonna close this thing up. But don't go away because I have some interesting. Uh, tidbits to pass along, some great information that I just learned myself, uh, regarding some great projects in regards to, uh, grappling with Canada, and, uh, just some fun things to, uh, pass on to all of you. So, please enjoy this audio. Like I said, I think it's gonna be really eye-opening for, for many people, and, uh, on the other side, make sure you stick around, because I have a lot of fun things to, to impart on everybody, if you will. So, enjoy this, and we'll see you on the other side.
7: Are those wrestlers we see on television just putting on a show, and is the whole thing a put on? I asked whipper Billy Watson if a wrestler can actually get hurt. Well, I had my eye taken out a number of years ago. I only have 10% vision in my left eye because of a wrestler, a fellow by the name of Chopper Sims. This is when I was wrestling in England. He put a thumb in and put the eyeball on my cheek, and I only have 10 percent vision in my left eye. I've had, um, oh, I guess pretty close to 250 stitches around my face and uh, different parts of my body. I've had my nose broken five times. I've had this was, had a plastic surgeon on this one eye here. Uh, because of a very bad gouge, you could just put the side of your hand inside my eye, and I continued on with this boat because it happened earlier on. I was resting in Belville one night, and fortunately when they took me to the hospital, they had a plastic surgeon there, and he did a very good job. I had to lay off for quite a time. And I've had my ribs broken seven times and shoulder broken several times, and I've had every finger, and as you notice, this one here is broken. I'm just getting over a broken finger on this hand. And I had to, uh, all the disc disintegrate in my neck. I was in St. Michael's Hospital for two months in traction. And, uh, oh, I could go all the way down the line to broken toes and uh, torn ligaments and things like this. And uh, you probably say, well, how come you're able to walk around? Well, it's surprising. And I try to tell the young people that how important it is to take care of your body. If you have a healthy body, it's surprising you can get over many illnesses and also injuries that you have. And uh, like I have always stressed, that especially more so today, about kids, you know, smoking. And uh, I feel that uh, smoking is more harmful to the body than anything else that I know of. Of course, we are into the drugs today, and uh, but the smoking, I think that sometimes smoking leads into the drugs... But if we could stop our our youngsters and make them realize the damage that they are doing to their bodies, if they would uh, think of putting something into their body that's going to sort of build it for the future, and if they want to smoke when they get older, well, that's up to them. But when they're young, I feel they should lay off the cigarettes. Billy, in addition to being... Uh uh, an accepted and great wrestler. Uh, you have uh, built up a reputation over the years as being terribly interested in the welfare of children, and your last few words there uh, verified that. But uh, crippled children, especially, you have a great interest in crippled children. Well, uh, I probably have got more out of the crippled children than they have from me because. When I go to visit with these young people, they do something for me that uh, no one else can do. They, First of all, they make me realize how fortunate I am that I have a, a strong, healthy body, and sometimes I wish that I could trade places with some of them to, because I feel of the uh, sufferings that they go through. And I think that... Uh, Like many other athletes and people in the entertainment world, uh, we come in contact with these people so much uh, that I found in the early stage of my career, which is going over 20 years now, which I've been associated with Crippled Children, and going to the hospitals and going to the treatment centers that I actually enjoy being with them. uh, As I say, it sort of gives you a lift. That's whipper Billy Watson the tough guy with a soft heart for crippled children.
0: All right, before we wrap it up for tonight, just really once again want to thank Wes and Jess for joining the program tonight, the tag team behind the National Wrestling Clipping Alliance podcast. Uh, Gentlemen, it was an absolute pleasure to have you both on the program. Uh, It was my pleasure to have joined you on yours as well. And uh, I think between our two sets of programs, there's going to be a lot of information for not just wrestling fans, but Canadian history uh, buffs, if you will, to digest, chew on, if you will. And uh, it, like I said, it was my pleasure uh, both times to have uh, discussed some Canadian professional wrestling history with the both of you. Once again, I want to thank you, the listener. You could have done anything else with your time uh, when you were listening to this program in the world. The world is such a beautiful place. But you made the conscious decision to join us today, and I'm forever indebted to you, the listener, for that. Now, at the top of the program, I did say that outside of voting for Grappler with Canada, which if you haven't done that, Go ahead and do that right now over at canpodawards.ca. Once again, voting closes July 13th, so run. Don't walk to do that. But there is one other thing that you can do for me. You can tell one person that you've never told that you listen to this show to come and give it a shot. Wrestling might not even be their thing. Canadian history might not be their thing. But, the human interest stories may just be their thing. So, I'm asking you, the listener, reach out to at least one person. Let them know what we're doing here. Shoot them the link. Have them check it out. It'd mean the world to me. This thing is growing exponentially because of you the listener, and every month I'm beyond humbled to get the emails, to get the DMs, to get the tweets from all of you who are enjoying this program, who are learning so much, who are also teaching me in part as well at the same time, and it really is, um, it's really an incredible feeling. And I owe it, um, for the most part, to you, the listener. So, do me that one small favor. Share this program with a friend. Even if you don't think it's up their alley. You never know. Once again, you can contact me many different ways. You can email me at uh, sixsidepod at gmail.com. I read absolutely everything that you guys send. You can hit me on Twitter at 6 underscore podcast. You can, once again, find this program, as I said at the top of the program, on all major podcasting platforms. But more specifically, remember to leave a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts. And when those roll in, sometimes they take a couple of months. So if, if you've left one and you haven't heard your review left and you're sitting there going, Goddamn, Taxman didn't read my (laughs) review. It's not my fault. There's kind of a delay between, you know, uh, when you submit it to uh, Apple Podcasts and when I actually see it. So, if you sent one, cool. It's coming up. If you haven't, get on it, because I could have been reading it already. (laughs) ha But uh yeah, send your five star rating and written reviews on Apple Podcasts, and when I receive them, then I will make sure that I uh, give you a shout out and read them aloud on the next available uh, podcast. One thing I didn't mention at the top of the program is the official merchandise store for grappling with Canada. Uh, grappling is where you can find all of the t-shirts, tanks, hoodies, whatever you want in terms of merchandise for grappling with canada and as usual i always say this but it does bear repeating that all of the proceeds from the classic grappling with canada a logo that's with the maple leaf very fitting that we're in uh, july and july 1st more specifically uh, all the proceeds of that shirt are being donated to charity so pick up a shirt it goes to a good cause also the ways that you can uh, Financially support this program because unfortunately there is a, a, a hefty cost, if you will, to do all this. So you can help me big time, take a load off my uh, shoulders, if you will, uh, by donating to the program. Uh, there's various ways to do it. You can find it in the link tree link on the show notes today. Uh, the tip jar function on Good Pods. You can send a donation via PayPal, as well as you can buy me a beer. Or two, or five, or more, at buymeacoffee.com slash grappling. Also, I just want to say there is no, uh, no donation too small. Certainly no donation too big. Either I should say. <laughs> and everything that you guys do donate gets invested directly back into the podcast, uh, goes towards research. Uh, subscriptions for things like newspaper.com, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, anything that you guys, um, donate to the program, you get a big shout out and you know that it's where it's going, right? It's going right back into this show. Also, keep it locked on all social media, whether that's, uh, grappling with Canada on Twitter, whether that's, uh, grappling with Canada on Instagram whether it's on the Facebook page or whether it's on the Canadian Professional Wrestling History Facebook group. Once I have all of the legalities figured out in regards to our fundraising event for a very golden item from a three-lettered Organization will say that would fit nicely in your, on your waist area, if you will. I don't want to give too much away, but if you read between the lines, I think you'll pick up what I'm putting down. So keep it locked on all socials to find out uh, what I'm doing in regards to that. I think it's going to be a cool little event. And I'm looking forward to engaging in regards to that. Don't forget, by the way, get your questions in for Vance Nevada for the follow-up episode, the Q&A Grill Vance Nevada. Grill him. Send him hardball questions. Let's, let's test this dude. Let's see what he's got. I think you'll be impressed. Get your questions in. You can email them to me at sixsidepod at gmail.com. You can send them, whether it's through the Facebook group or the Facebook page, or on Twitter at six underscore podcast. Get them in while the getting's good. Uh, you don't want to be that guy, you know, when the Vance Nevada episode part, part two comes up in the podcast feed, sitting there going, man, I wish I would have asked blank. Don't wish... Do it! Send that message, send your question, and uh, let's have a lot of fun with the Q&A episode with Vance Nevada regarding the Uncontrolled Chaos book, which is upcoming very, very shortly. I'm really looking forward to that. I know quite a few of you are as well. So, for all of that being said... I hope that you guys enjoyed the program today. I hope that you've been enjoying the direction that Season 2 has gone. Although today's episode did not follow our Unsolved Mysteries theme specifically. Although the Nanjo Sing part of it did certainly fit into the theme of this second season of Grappling with Canada. I hope that everybody's enjoying the season. I hope that you really enjoyed this episode. And I hope that you'll share it with a family member, a friend. Share it on Twitter. Share it on Facebook. This thing grows because of you, the listener. Point blank, period. So thank you for your time. Thank you for your consideration. Thank you for hanging out with myself and my tremendous guests today. And... With all that being said, happy Canada Day. I hope everybody was safe and enjoyed themselves. Happy 4th of July to our American affiliates down south. Please be safe. And I hope that you all enjoy yourselves. And I hope that you all uh, join us for our special and join us for our August episode. It's going to be a great one. Until then... I will leave you as I always do, and I especially mean it now. Please, everyone, take care of yourselves and each other. See you next time.